6: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM.
3: 715 Text 083-396-9696 and your email for the show. Opinion at 96FM.ie. If we do find out during the course of the morning that the uh, Starter's pistol has been fired with regard to the general election or when we're going to hear that starter's pistol being fired, certainly bring it to you. The Cabinet meeting has just kicked off in Dublin earlier than usual, and plus Leo, of course, cancelled their own meeting this morning. So all eyes are on Leinster House to see when we'll get the date, which, of course, could be very interesting because if the date is the 7th or the 14th, there's thousands of people who won't be able to vote that's going to come up uh, throughout the course of the morning. Also, do you want any posters? Do you want anything to do with election posters? Because if you do or you don't, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to have your say on that this morning by way of a poll. That is all to come. But there was quite a lot of um, controversy last night at the uh, City Council meeting with a number of different plans coming before uh, the... the um, the meeting before the councillors that controversial housing plan on the GA grounds in Black Rock there was loud applause in the public gallery when that was voted down and of course there was also a discussion of the Kilcolly situation and the ongoing problem with uh, destruction of graves and all that in, in Kilcolly. Fiona was talking to some of the people who were in Kilcolly last evening and of course the latest the latest is that, that the um, the Security is costing them €6,500 per week, which is quite a lot of money. In fact, it's a hell of a lot of money. €6,500 per week. And that's only going to last for another couple of weeks, after which, of course, the the locals or or the families are asking, well, can we have some permanent security, some permanent CCTV there or not? And they didn't get much satisfaction on, on that last night. And afterwards, they spoke to Fiona about how they felt the meeting had gone.
7: Laura Carey. I thought we were going to leave with the answer that the CTV was going to be fitted when I heard six and a half thousand a week for security to stay there. Um, if they added three weeks to that, the CTV would be well and truly built in. Um, disappointed that they're denied that there was antisocial behaviour out there when there is. Clearly, is. We're hoping next that the councillors are absolutely fantastic. Honestly, Kenneth Flynn. Thomas Gould and Tony Fitzgerald they're brilliant, all the lads we're just hoping next Monday we'll get a step further to securing the graveyard
8: So you are hopeful after tonight?
7: <sighs> what can I say? At the, as she said the is only there now for another week mm-hmm. so if it doesn't continue next week then we're back to square one we've no rest we're not sure what's what the next step is until the CTV is put in. Like we're not going to rest until it's in. It.
8: The councillors have all committed to making a contribution uh, from their ward funds towards your your Facebook page and your yes. GoFundMe page. And um, what was your reaction to
7: that? Uh, absolutely fantastic! Delighted. Um, Cork City are very they're very good for supporting things like that. Disappointed that. The council didn't step in and help a bit and didn't, but i delighted with the councillors. Every single one of them were very grateful and I'm sure the families directly affected to it are very grateful for it. It's Cecilia Walters.
9: I think it was grandstanding. I think it was window dressing and that's about as much as you could describe that activity as. On one hand, they're coming out, they're terribly sympathetic, they're terribly empathetic. However, then it's all dismissed at the very end because we don't have funding, we're self-insured, we're the only... Council itself insured. Unlike Dublin Council, Galway Council, all falling under a broad insurance policy, Cork is treated slightly differently. So, whilst there's an obligation by their own bylaws that they have to have insurance, they're taking the minimal amount of insurance and they can't understand why people are disappointed in that. We don't have money, that's going to cost 200000 That's not in question. And the fact that she would actually insult the victims by saying we can pay for one more week of, of security.
8: So, uh, are you afraid that after next week that the graves up in Kilcully are going to be completely unsecured Absolutely. and that something like this will happen Absolutely.
9: again? Absolutely, and I'm not sure if you picked up on the coverage on Saturday, but there was a lady who alleged that her grave was actually desecrated after 24-hour security... Oh. I, I use security in lower term. I don't think they're a private firm, as I said before. They're they're council employees who are possibly putting in a bit of overtime, and that's as much that's your lot. So they're absolutely absolutely leaving those people vulnerable completely all over again.
8: She also said that there isn't a problem with antisocial behaviour yes. and with vandalism in graveyards here in yeah. Cork, and that got quite a loud roar from people, oh, yeah. a, a negative roar from people.
9: Absolutely, I mean th- th- that's a self answering question. It's rhetorical anybody who took a photograph of the desecration of those graves and then to go on and at the same time claim that there isn't a problem with antisocial behaviour in light of the fact and parallel to the fact that there is a guard investigation, which is it? Why are the Guard investigations thinking there is an antisocial behaviour? You can't have it both ways, with respect. It, it's, it's insulting to everybody's intelligence in that room. And moreover, her own councillors acknowledge the fact that there is an antisocial behaviour issue, not only in that graveyard, in all graveyards.
3: Fiona, morning to you. People felt they morning, didn't Peter. get much satisfaction last night.
8: Yeah, now just to be fair to the Director of Services, Valerie O'Sullivan, she did acknowledge the antisocial behaviour and the vandalism at Kilcully, but her point was that Anti-social behaviour in graveyards isn't a major problem here in Cork. She said that, you know, in the past year, apart from the Kilcully, I think there was two reported incidents to the city council of vandalism in graveyards in Cork City. But when she spoke off this, um, the people who were in the public gallery now there was up to fifty people in the public gallery last night, and they all um, booed that sentiment given by Valerie O'Sullivan. And you can, you know, on the other side of the argument, you can see where they're coming from and the fact that they've seen all of these headstones destroyed and statues destroyed and they're the ones who have been the brunt of this so um there's a lot of issues there pj and the group went in hoping that they will get answers now they didn't get a lot of answers last night but they are going to have another meeting next monday so the um when there was a public meeting on saturday there was a group set up from that meeting of five um individuals who have relatives buried in Kilcully and that committee will be meeting with um, council representatives and um, senior council officials and Gardaí next Monday at a ward meeting and um, they'll be able to thrash this out a lot more, you know a lot of these questions were just put to um, Valerie O'Sullivan um, yesterday so she hasn't had time to uh, look into a lot of it so they'll be hoping to get more answers on Monday and then after that they'll be having another public mo- meeting so that they can relay a lot of the information to the people um, and I suppose the big thing for them is it's not even so much um, repairing the graves now, a lot of them have already been repaired yeah. um, it's it's protecting them going forward and there you know, we, we've spoken that there have there is CCTV in the car park of Kilgully Graveyard but there isn't any inside the graveyard and that's what they want, they want to have have CCTV installed in the graveyard. Um, Now, since all of this broke, there has been 24-hour security there, which um, has been I suppose two security guards on duty at all time. And Valerie O'Sullivan confirmed last night that the council received a bill that was Six and a half thousand euro for the one week. Now, she said that that's a lot of money by yeah. any standards, and going forward, you know, that's not going to be that's not going to last very long. She yeah. said probably a week, and I suppose like next week, um, they, they'll review the situation again. But the residents want to ha- or the relatives want to have that 24 hour security in place until they get the CCTVs installed. So I don't know where they're going to go with that if it's going to be at a cost of six and a half yeah. grand. Now, that lady that I spoke to, Cecilia Walters, um, you know. Know, the council had said that they had hired a private security firm to do this but she was disputing that she thinks that um it's not but you know i suppose that, that that's the council's official line is that it is a private security firm that's doing it and also pj as well um at the meeting on saturday <clears throat> the residents spoke about Kilculli graveyard um like if anybody knows <clears throat> Excuse me, if anybody knows the graveyard, there is a wall at the front and along the side, but the open yeah. um it's it's very open in the back and that opens onto to farmland. Yes. So um the council will have to have a discussion with the, the property owner about erecting a wall. And Valerie O'Sullivan said last night that um it's estimated that a wall to be erected along there would cost two hundred thousand euro. So that's fair a fair chunk out of the council's budget as well. So whether that happens or not as well is another thing. So um a lot of questions still there for people, um, and you know there was some people who were very angry. Other people were um, just accepting of the fact that this is the situation that they're in at the minute. They will get hopefully more answers next Monday, um, but for now um, they they just have to wait and see and and hope that there isn't another. A repeat of what happened at that graveyard
3: Have we any idea, Fiona, at this stage where the Garda investigation is going with this? Do we have any idea who did it yet?
8: Um, I think the Gardaí may have a couple of uh, people in mind a couple of suspects but um, they haven't really given any information to those affected and um, I spoke to people on Saturday at the meeting in the Commons Inn and they were really angry at at that, at the lack of information coming from the guards Mm. and they were hoping that a Garda representative would have been at the public meeting last Saturday and they had invited the Gardaí to come to that but the Gardaí weren't there so they're hoping that the Gardaí will be at the meeting next Monday. Um, again they'll be invited to that and they'll be hoping to get an update from that. Like we know at this stage that evidence had been handed over to the Gardaí and that the Gardaí had taken evidence from the cemetery uh, you know there was empty alcohol bottles found in on, on graves they were given over to the Gardaí mm. um, there was some hand, bloody handprints on grave, on headstones um, and samples of that were taken by the Gardaí for forensics so you know the Gardaí are following a line on this and um, they are Fully investigating it, mm. but um, like you know, they wouldn't tell us anyway, Peter, yeah. about the investigation. They, true. you know, they yes. can't comment on yeah. investigations. But I think the the people involved and the people affected were hoping at this stage that they would have more information from the Gardaí than what they've had. Mm. And these these and things so, do
3: take time, I guess. Just yeah. while I have you there, Fiona, the other controversial issue from last mm. night was this housing plan down in the GA mm. grounds in Black Rock. Now, just simplify that for for listeners. It's a housing plan that backed by the blackrock g a club it's their it's their plan isn't it
8: yeah um it's the blackrock g a club had <coughs> proposed this scheme it's thirty apartments on a site at Cherry lawn in black rock now um the city the, the city councillors um have a city development plan and their zones and this was zoned as sporting um a sporting area, a sporting zone for, for sporting activities. So um what um the council were asked to vote on last night was a material contravention mm. of that plan. So they wanted to change it from change sporting to residential. Yeah. Um, now there was a lot of people opposed to this plan from the very start uh, residents from that area and they were also in the public gallery last night and um, they watched this debate unfold in the council chambers and um, some of the issues were uh, you know it's already a very densely populated area and to put another 30 apartments in there was going to add to that so you're adding to the traffic um, and there's also an issue with there's a walkway there and the, the whole access to the walkway, was, um, there was concerns about that. There was also concerns about the already lack of green space there for children to play in um, and the residents were opposed to this plan. They had obviously made their concerns known to councillors and this was debated. Now, interestingly, PJ, PJ, um, 26 people voted against the material contravention and only one person voted for it. And that person was uh, solidarity party councillor, Fiona Ryan. And she said that in that we were in the middle of what she described as the worst housing crisis ever in the state. And here we are with plans for 30 apartments and the councillors are voting against it. Um, but I, I think for a lot of the councillors, it was the fact that they don't want to do, vote against um, a housing development, but it was just in the wrong location. And a couple of them said to me afterwards, there's no point in putting up houses left, right and centre just because we have a housing crisis. They have to go into places where there's going to be proper facilities, proper amenities and um that has passed. Now, we don't know whether or not that decision is going to be appealed to on board Planola, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the councillors are hoping that it won't. And um, I spoke afterwards to local councillor for the Falls, Terry Shanahan, yeah. and he said that he would be hoping that the, if it does go to on board Planola that they will look at the fact that 26 yeah. councillors voted against it and that the residents are vehemently opposed to it okay. and that they'll uphold that decision.
3: Right. We'll be coming back to that as well in the course of the morning. Fiona, thank you. As always, that's our senior news reporter uh, Fiona Corcoran. 1850 50 The Opinion Line on Cork's
6: 96FM.
10: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. (laughs) SolidFuelDepot.ie For 20 minutes of the best music mix. And everything Cork. On Cork's 96FM. Make
1: sure you check out our Facebook question on a daily basis. I've got all the breaking entertainment news for you and we bring you the best music mix and Tobin, weekdays
6: from midday
10: with the park avon hotel lucris road killarney formerly holiday inn the perfect base to explore killarney see parkavonhotel.com
6: courts 96 fm this is courts gold Imro award-winning talk show the opinion line with pj coogan text or
10: whatsapp now 0833 96 96 96.
6: on courts 96 fm just on the
3: Kilcolly story pj that's crazy money for a week's security greed kicking in again i do security myself i'd be glad to do a few hours at night for a reasonable rate maybe three lads doing it on a rota could be done easily put people's mind at ease six and a half thousand just did some sums on that if you break that down that's 24 seven security so seven days a week six and a half thousand euro that works out at about 50 euro per hour which is about 25 euro per security guard if they patrol in twos which take their salary out of it which the going rate for security as far as i know is about 15 quid an hour and there's obviously equipment and a hut and all that to, to go on top of it so that's the kind of going rate for professional security do you know what I mean? So it, 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 it looks huge, but it isn't really that huge. 1850-715-996. Uh, Let's look down at, or back to the Black Rock story and the, the housing development plan down there near the near the GEA club. Councillor Terry Shannon's one of those opposed to it. Terry, good morning. PJ, good morning. How are you? Good. Again, As and Fiona was quoting you there when she was giving me the, the sum up of the... Like, we need housing, we need housing everywhere we can possibly get it. There's a huge shortage of it. So why would you all be opposed to this particular development?
11: Well, I don't agree with you, PJ, that we need housing everywhere we can get it. I mean, is that suggesting we should maybe build in your back garden as well? You know, I mean, we we, we don't want to have a race to the bottom. We have to do it in a considered way. And we have to make sure that we add value to an area but in this instance it, it, it this was a private development that was being proposed but that's not the issue the issue was we were being asked to p- p- to support a material contravention to our city development plan that would change a zoning from sports to housing mm. and that's something we've never done we were asked in the boom by various uh, uh, sporting clubs Conn, which town ga Musgrave park and others to change the zoning of their areas so that they could move out to outlying areas which are now actually in the city so that development could take place. And we have a shortage of green areas in our city. We certainly have a shortage of sporting areas in our city. And the idea that we would allow this material contravention, which would be a Trojan horse uh, in terms of other sporting organisations and green areas, um, was something that I certainly wouldn't wouldn't support, and it was almost unanimously agreed by members last night. There was one councillor who voted for it, so you know we have to stand up and the, the one support our development voted,
3: plan. To, yeah, to, to quote the one councillor who voted for it, that was Fiona Ryan of Solidarity. She she said that double and triple the amount of housing stock that's currently being built is is what's needed, and effectively, I suppose she's saying, look, what I said, at the start we need as much housing as we can well, get, she, wherever we can get us. She,
11: Why is she opposing the development in Blackpool, then? You know, I mean, she, we've mm. been lectured by, by her on, on on our side of the city, yet in her own backyard, she's opposing the development herself. So there's a bit of hypocrisy there. Clearly, we need to ensure that we have quality housing, both social, affordable and private, and that we do so in a manner that adds value to an area. A little point in creating new communities While we're discommoding others, and remember, in an area that we're looking at here, we've already two developments in the last number of years in an area that was a cul-de-sac. So I think you know the residents, uh, you know, and their concerns have to be taken on board as well. And me, as a local councillor, no matter what I do, I'll be accused of nimbyism because we have a small area to represent. But as far as I'm concerned and I'm chairman of the Housing Strategic Policy Committee we want houses, we want houses of quality, we have a thousand social housing units under construction in the city already this year uh, but we want to do it in a way that will add value and that will in the years to come be regarded as a good thing to do. I mean I think we all saw in the boom the type of building that went on and that we had to uh, come back and start out uh, afterwards. That's not something we want to do so clearly you know, we've got to have a considered housing policy and we've got to have a considered plan as mm-hmm. to how we, we, we build those. And clearly, from my point of view, the very notion that we would now start looking at sporting areas, uh, or sport zone areas our are sport, or that are zoned sports, and that mm-hmm. now they're the next area where we should build. When you consider, you know, we've... Uh, we've yeah, but I the mean, with the club... Hold on, hold on
3: a second, Terry. Will the club lose pitches or facilities... As a result of this, if it were to go ahead, would there be any well, pitch that... lost, any facility lost, any well, training ground lost?
11: Well, well, well
12: that's, that's a yes or
3: no, like
11: because uh, I'm not a member of the club, yeah. but you know, the notion that clothes would start selling off parcels of land, in, it, it, you know, for fundraising, you know, that and remember, I've spoke, I was at a meeting last week with sixty members of the local residents, many of them. Um, club members, uh, and I've spoken to residents in the area. Many of them, club members, who are opposed to this mm. idea, because do they tell from their point of
3: view, do they say why?
11: They they just felt that uh, 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 about five years ago, a big green area that belonged to the club was sold off for housing mm. uh, by the club, and they just feel assets are diminishing within the club, and that they are, you know, they're, I suppose, closing themselves in in terms of any bit of expansion. And the club, look, I met the, I met the club last July, 12 months, mm. when they proposed this, and I told them that I would not agree to it and I wouldn't be supporting it from day one. So, you know, I, I said this to the club long before any residents got involved in this particular uh, issue because I'm opposed to the notion of rezoning land. Um, about 10 or 12 years ago, I had 41 different areas around the ward in Blackrock, Rock, Balland Lock, South Douglas Road areas, all zone public open space or sports simply because I wanted to maintain green areas, and if and sports areas, and if if proposals for building came along, we would then as councillors be involved in its in, in that but zone. Do,
3: do we not have? Um, do we not have Terry? And I'm going to sound like an awful old drone here now, but like we have a housing emergency, you know, and facilities like this. Particularly if the club isn't going to lose a playing area or a training ground or any kind of a facility. This is clearly not doing anything specific to the club at the moment. It's not essential. So, you know, it's a leisure area. It's a luxury, in other words. So do we not have to take our luxuries and 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 cut down on our luxuries for necessities?
11: Okay, okay. And then we'll start up in Beaumont Park. And we start building there, and so sure why wouldn't we go into Lucy Park and we develop that and put a nice big um, um, apartment block in there? You know, like you cannot cut off your nose to spite your face. If you want to, you have to have a considered planning approach. And remember, we now have doubled or tripled our city is you now five times bigger than it was with the boundary extension. We've plenty of green fields out to Blarney, over to Glenmire and that, and you can have a planned approach now to our building. And if people want apartments like you have uh, in Blanchardstown in Dublin, you can start building those in a planned way and people can buy into those in a planned way. You know, this idea that you have to look at every bit of green area in suburbia and build on that while ignoring the fact that now we have a massive boundary extension, I think is very short-sighted. And, you know, Cork City evolved over the years as a medieval city we know of an opportunity to actually plan our city with the boundary extension and take into consideration proper green areas, have public transport, proper facilities for communities. Little point I believe in creating what people talk about new communities uh, No apartment mm-hmm. blocks, do they create communities I'm not sure they do but little point in creating communities if we're discommoding existing communities and I don't think anybody in any part of suburbia would regard, you know, you know for 40 years things should remain the same and always be the same but we have to add value to our okay. suburbia and to 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 our communities not take them away and not in 40 years time regret that we ever did something you know let's hold on to our green areas and our sports areas whether their luxuries or not Mm-hmm. That's very important. And as city councillors... But all again, city I come back plan, to the point.
3: I come back to the point, Terry. Plan. I come back to the point. And we, by the way, we were, or the PRO of Blackrock Club isn't available to us at the moment. They're not available this the day. But if anybody involved in the club would like to weigh in on this, if no facility is being lost, if basically what you're looking at is an empty field that presently does nothing, and if the club isn't going to lose, you have got how you have still got the sporting facility, if any element of the sporting facility is not being lost, then where's
11: your problem? Well, can I just say one thing? I mean, I've supported Blackrock Hurling Club for many years and will continue to do so, both in terms of funding and uh, development grants and that kind of thing. But, you know, the notion that it is superfluous to the club, I think maybe, and again, I'm not speaking... That's not what I'm of, saying. I'm saying if the I,
3: club isn't going to lose anything from this... Like, the, the, if if a pitch were to close, or a, a pavilion had to close, or a training facility be lost, then fine. But, the, but maybe the, the this club could be used for training nothing.
11: facilities. I mean, all clubs are, are are looking for training facilities, but there are many local organisations that might use the battle end. That if the club feel, you know, it's not, it's not something that they're particularly using, maybe we could use it as a playground for local children. You know, maybe it could be used for something else. I don't believe there's any green area superfluous. Okay. Okay. There's all green areas. It's it's about walking them and it's about using them and the whole lot. But if we were to use that yardstick, uh, PJ, you know, every green area would be would be built on, and all of a sudden we have a concrete landscape. Mm. We need lungs of the city. We need more trees. We need green areas. We need to maintain what we have, and that's why, as I mm. say, about 15 years ago, I had many areas in the southeast of the city zoned purposely, zoned green and sporting mm. to maintain them and to ensure that they would not be developed uh, in in the years to come and thankfully I I look at a place like Rockfield and and, and Can I ask you Terry
3: when you you see and you you were involved in all of that and and you say you stand over it when you see the spiralling cost of rent and when you see how damn near it is impossible for a young couple on average earnings to get a place to rent in the city do you still stand over those decisions? Absol-
11: oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's no point in having a race to the bottom when in maybe 10 years' time you'll be interviewing me, asking me, come here, in the name of God, what did you agree to that for? I mean, the big issue well, for me... Well, if the respect, housing list had been halved,
3: Terry, or something like well, that... Well, there,
11: there's 1,000 units under... Uh, under construction at present, and we have bought entire housing estates. Only one near here recently that we allocated last last uh, last August. But the big issue, not alone social but affordable. I mean, I have kids now who are at work, who may never, never get a mortgage because they won't earn enough, but might earn too much to be on a social housing list. So, so what we need to look at, uh, uh, apart from a social housing policy. The big issue now is the in betweeners, kids like your your own kids and that, mm. you know, and, and others who like the affordable housing scheme is what we're looking to achieve. And we have one scheme underway in the entire city. Yeah. And as chairman of the housing committee, I've been pushing that with our director, okay. uh, you know. And we have resistance and from central government for some reason. Right. Affordable housing schemes, but also a planned housing policy in terms of development. Well, well, look, this and that every last green day. area should be on should be suspect. And the remember. You know, at nearly a full council meeting, there was only one councillor. Ah, yeah. I'm, I'm, only putting on. the, I'm only putting the why questions it's from there. Yeah. I lobbied hard for this, PJ, because if this ever does go to the board where they may look at overt- overturning this decision, we'll be able to say, well, this is our city development plan, and it was the will of council practically unanimously uh, in public s- supporting that development plan and saying, look, We want to ensure that our public open spaces and our green areas and our sports facilities are protected from development. That's very important.
3: All right, leave it there, Terry. For now, Terry Shannon, the Fall councillor, Terry Shannon, opposed to this potential development. Now, what happened last night was that was a vote to change the, the development plan, to allow for this. The development plan will not now be changed. So, at the moment, this housing development is gone by the board, but it could go before a board planola, that would be the next step. 1850 715 Again, anyone involved with the club we'd particularly love to um, love to talk to you about your view on it and your view on the fact that it was turned down so unanimously last night. 1850 Coming up next, if you are renting a home, if you can get a home to rent, if councillors aren't blocking developments of houses right left and centre if you can get a home to rent would you like the right to have a little pup or a cat in your rented home you don't have that right and in the landlord's market landlords can dictate no pets no dogs no cats so would you like the right to have that that's where we're going next. 185715996 in Belgium. Kate says they combine the housing with sporting areas. Every time they build a housing development, they build a sporting facility with it. In, uh, Siobhan in St. Luke says this is typical GA. They did the same in Montanati with the tank field and removed the only flat public green space from miles. They're all about the money. Kevin says those complaining about high rents know who to blame. These are a bunch of hypocrites. Their arguments are based entirely on boutery. And a texter who lives nearby said they had to stop that development. He lives near the hurling club. It's a ghetto down there. And really bad, the armed response units were there multiple times over Christmas. 185715996.
6: The Opinion Line on Course 96 FM.
10: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood, and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie.
6: <laughs> so you've got a smartphone or tablet? Then get the must have app. you. Finally-
10: so you can take us everywhere.
6: Download the Cork's 96 FM app today.
10: And listen to your favorite
6: shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news.
10: Cork and if you have a smart speaker, speaker, ask it to play Cork's 96 FM. Play Cork's 96 FM. Okay.
6: On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96 FM. In line with PJ Coogan. Call us
10: now. 1850
6: 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM.
3: We still have no word from the Cabinet as to what is going to happen this morning. If he decides to pull the starters going on the election, he can call it for either 7th or 14th of February. we look as if it's going to be called before Thursday. If anything does come out of that Cabinet meeting, we will certainly let you know. But on that subject of whether or not you want the right to have a pet in a rented home. Like when you own your own home or you're in your own home with a mortgage, it's one of the great luxuries, it's a lovely part of any home, is to have a pet. I know I run a small branch of Fota, we've got four. It's great. But there are a lot of landlords who won't let you have a pet. Won't let you have a pet next or near the place. And Fiona, who's called the show, wants to know, can we possibly have that right written into law? You tell us, I think, that they've passed a law to this effect in the UK that you can now have the right to a pet in a rented home. Is that right? Good morning to you.
13: Hi, good morning, PJ. Yeah, I actually, after I said I'd be talking about this, I saw last night that they passed a law in the UK basically making it illegal to um, basically be prejudiced against renters that have a pet. I'm not sure how exactly yet they're going to go about enforcing it,
3: but... uh, You've written to the Minister for Housing, have you, or you intend to?
13: Um, no, I, I'm i contacted on Twitter so far, but I intend to start a petition to bring mm-hmm. attention to this. And I do realise, compared to homelessness, this is small peanuts, but, you know, there's so many more people now that are going to be forced to rent forever because of the housing market, and it just kind of feels a bit unfair that you should be kind of then pretty much ostensibly being forbidden from having a pet. Because even if your current landlord is really sound, um, you never know when you're going to have to move. And having a pet in the current market basically puts you straight to the back of the line when you're looking at property. So,
3: Have you come across many rental properties where the agreement was no pets?
13: Um, it's most property these days, but also even I had a friend, I know somebody who they had a dog in their property and through, like, the landlord just ended up selling the property, so they had to move, and despite the fact that they had, like, a month's rent and the deposit and all that kind of thing, no problem, they actually ended up sleeping in their car for a week before they could actually find somewhere to move into, despite having a few months to look for somewhere, because it was difficult, and another friend had to give their cats away when they had to move. Yeah. And, now, I'm lucky enough, actually, my landlord in my building, there is somebody in the building with a cat. Um, I'm actually allergic to cats, so I can't have a cat. <laughs> but... um but it's that whole thing of unless I know you can be legally protected to have a pet it's basically you are making a burden for yourself when you want to kind of look for new property.
3: Because I did talk to people from uh, an apartment block in Black Rock there, that uh, a year and a bit ago now, where like that now the the block had changed hands or new management had come in and people who already had pets were given six weeks or something to get rid of them which was I thought was extremely yeah. cruel.
13: It's cool. And even now, obviously, it's fantastic the way the council and the housing authority brought up the Lee Apartments. And that was brilliant that so many people didn't get evicted. But uh, I'm on the social housing list. I mean, I'm not going to get up somewhere because I'm on my own and I have a job. (laughs) But uh, I'm on the social housing list. And when those apartments came up on the uh, choice based letting website, they were actually said no pets allowed. And that is the same with a lot of property that comes up on there. Now, not the county council ones, but a lot of the ones that involve housing boards also No pets allowed. Mm-hmm.
3: Fergal, just getting a bit of clarification here for me uh, with regard to what's happened in the UK. It's called the Model Tenancy Contract, and it's used as a template for rental agreements. And that's to be reworded to remove any restrictions on pets and, in fact, encourage landlords to allow them. So it's kind of like a model contract, kind of a draft yeah. contract that landlords follow. It's not a law as such. It's kind of a... Oh,
2: right. It's yeah. a template.
3: It's a template for, for a contract. So if I, have a, if I have a number of apartments that I want to rent out, I can literally get this one off the local council or wherever and make up the contract to suit myself. And in that now, there's going to be uh, no restrictions on allowing pets and in fact, uh, an encouragement on, on me to allow them. So it's not a law as such. I can ignore yeah. it if I wish. Yeah,
13: and I'm sure and it also says as well, only well behaved pets or something like that. And I'm sure the landlord could if they wanted to find some kind of way out by that one. But I mean there's been loads of health studies as well, showing like studies showing that um the benefits of having pet ownership helps with mental health oh, and anxiety a as well. Of a doubt. I mean, I'm pretty certain that if I had a dog my standard of living would improve one hundred percent. But uh yeah, it just um just really feels like you're being kind of prejudiced against now just because you can't afford to buy a house, and there's more and more people now that can't buy houses, even though they're paying rent that costs more than a mortgage, but don't have an income that would secure you a mortgage.
3: And there is nobody who will recognise the fact that you've had a crap day in the office better than your dog. Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever thought about sharing a dog? It's probably easier with a cat when you're allergic to cats. Have you ever thought about sharing a dog with someone, that you'd walk them or whatever? The dog would live somewhere, but that you'd walk... There are actually apps, apparently.
13: I didn't know there was up to it. I have actually contemplated the whole um, uh, dog walking thing. Yeah, and uh, well, it's definitely be something to worth uh, worth looking into. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'd also say as well that when you see as well things like the Corp Dog Action Welfare Group and stuff like that, they can't house all the pets they've got, and That's some right. of those pets probably came from people that had to give them up.
3: One of, my, um, one of my regular callers here in the show, Michael. Michael walks the roads every morning at 6 o'clock and occasionally drags a poor neighbour's dog out <laughs> for a tramp up the roads, you know, just for himself and the dog. And he is just saying to me here, as, as a busy dog owner who isn't at home enough, they'd love someone to share their dog, you know. So, yeah. It's so one way of looking at it. One way
13: of looking at it. Yeah, I think I'll definitely have to look into that. Okay. And, um, but yeah, uh, I just really feel, as I said, that renters are basically you know, it is a form of prejudice against them that they can't have a pet,
3: so... Good point. Good point. All right then, Fiona, thanks ever so much for that. Uh, you can tell from Fiona's accent, originally UK, but she'd been in Cork for, what, nearly 30 years now. 1850, uh, 996. Yeah, that's not a law as such, it's just like a tenancy template that you draw up. Just on Black Rock, there's also a very vague inclusion in that planning that the planners fluffed the details of, but there was an inclusion of pedestrian access to the old railway line. That's adjacent uh, and on the and that brings antisocial problems with it. okay, fair enough. And on the Black Rock GA again, there's another aspect of the, oh, that's there's a small the decision to decline planning to the Black Rock GA is a small cul-de-sac. There's already been two social housing projects completed and the area is very congested. Also people talking about Terry Shannon wondering uh, did he ever find out what caused the pollution of the Atlantic Pond? Don't I didn't get a chance to ask when he was on. Uh, Caller and Ballon colleagues said there's a website called com, and it's great, and there's even pet insurance involved. 1850-715-996 back to the general problems experienced uh, by renters and people looking to rent a place. Remember we talked about this last week. Here's a little follow-up from a topic we covered uh, last week on the show. D- did this one yesterday Dr Stanley thank you very much for, for taking an that's, that's not that one that's not that one here's the one I'm looking for I'm all over the place this morning I have very fat fingers today here
14: we go we ran a segment on the show last week in relation to an ad that had come up on daft.e for a sex for rent arrangement in which a landlord would uh, give the tenant's room for free in return for sexual favours as and when requested Unfortunately, it doesn't seem this is the first time an ad of this nature has been advertised in Cork. Justina, you came across an ad like this as well.
15: Yes, that was happened for me last year ago when I was extremely looking for apartment, uh, house, share or just a room. So I found that uh, ad on um, .ie and um, there was not ad- no address, just a circle that it's uh, around the Glenmire, Upper Glenmire so I text the person, and uh, I get the text back like, "Yes, this is um, still available, uh, cat. It's um, available to keep it." When I ask for a pr- uh, price, that person uh, send me text message: "Yes, this is five hundred uh, euro per month, but if you want to save uh, money, uh, we also have a uh, sex." Wow. Okay, yes. and what was your reaction to that? Actually, I am stopped chatting. Um, I'm always trying to keep away from those kind of people. It's a little bit dangerous. So uh, I was just happy with that, that I was using not my own phone, just a spare uh, phone number from Tesco, what I'm always using just for ads or for some kind of information because I don't want to, you know, some, some weird people will text me or ring me. You'd never know who mm. is on other side. So I'm stopped texting that person was stopped texting me back, so I was just really surprised and well, yeah.
14: Yeah. So did they reply to you at all on that number anymore? Did was there any follow up contact?
15: No, no. I'm just stopped contacting and that ad was hanging on the daft maybe a few more days and that's it.
14: Only a few more days? Yes. So somebody might have signed up for it?
15: Maybe, I don't know, maybe that person just yeah. take them out, Out. I don't know.
14: God, you'd wonder, wouldn't you? I mean, is this the first time you've ever come across anything like this? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
15: Like, some t- in that time, I was looking really absolutely everywhere. And uh, on, on the Facebook, uh, there is a uh, lot of groups. And uh, I know people looking just for the money and lots of information was like just for room you need to pay a thousand euro with uh, all bills and everything so just for room one thousand it means someone just want to make money Mm. Uh, i just get information from that group that don't reply for that this is scam People just uh, want to take money before viewing Mm -hmm. and they run away. So I was very careful in that time. I was too many, I was have too many problems in that moment to go with that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually stopped looking in the Facebook just on the daft. And then I was really surprised after that ad where someone offered just the sex to save the money. Yeah.
14: (laughs) You wonder there must be people out there who are desperate enough to go for it.
15: Yeah, I was really desperate because um, in that time I was have a poor job, and any time when I'm go to uh, agency asking uh, for apartment to rent apartment, and unfortunately I was not qualified for viewing. Wow! Uh, with the answer like uh, you will be not able to pay the rent and bills with mm-hmm. that money what you have right now. Uh, my plan was just to rent a house, whatever, and then share with someone. Mm. My friends. Some yeah. Person yeah yeah and did you find somewhere in the end yes 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 my I just renting right now with my friend
14: yeah but yeah. it is very difficult out there like you're obviously you're not from Ireland originally no. and I think it probably is much harder when you're not from here because you don't hear Oh, somebody has a house that they don't use or somebody inherited a house in their granny and they're renting it out you yes. don't hear all those informal kind of networks that people have
15: yeah like I know my one of my Irish friends they was have a similar problem to rent something, and they come back to par- live to parents mm. in that time. I um, actually was thinking to buy a camper van mm. just for that time when i I need to move end of the january uh, my apartment, and I was thinking really to buy a camper van, yeah. and looking for something, yeah. They're not cheap either. They're they're not they're not the cheapest
14: option that you might think they were.
15: <laughs> yeah, like I said, I was have a job. I was have a job, very good job before. I have a money. I'm good money saver, mm-hmm. so I was not afraid about the money to pay any rents or something. Um, the problem was it's to catch something, yeah. find something, and yeah. Wow.
14: And like, is there any circumstance where someone could have said to you, oh, you can save money on the rent uh, by having sex and you would find that acceptable? I mean, I don't think I know anybody who would be up for that.
15: (laughs) The funniest thing, all my colleagues was laughing, why the woman landlord not offered them something like (laughs) (laughs) this?
14: Yeah, no, I don't think that goes both ways, usually does it? Um, So it's the first time you've ever come across it, it's never happened to you before or since? Yeah, I don't think it's very common, but it seems to be growing.
15: I think so, because uh, I remember when I came here um, for the first time, so nearly 13 years ago. Of course, I was living in a small town in Clamel. I was lived there seven years, seven years in one apartment. Six years ago, I moved to Cork. Since that time, I was moving five times mm. with different reason. And seriously, year after year, it's going worse and worse. Mm. Like. I'm happy I have a my apartment right now and um I hope I will stay there how long it's possible. But I know a lot of even my friends have a huge problem. Mm. And the worst is with single mother.
14: Yeah, yeah. Have any of your friends decided to leave Ireland because of it?
15: Uh yes. One yeah, my friends they live because they was have a big family with three children and uh, Right now, something to rent when you have a pet, children. Mm. It's not really not easy. Maybe in the countryside, but not around the cork, not in the cork.
14: Yeah, it's it very is difficult. Broadband. That yeah. So it, it, for the moment, you're happy enough. You have somewhere. You're renting with your friend, and everything is fine. And uh, do you think you'll see yourself there long term?
15: Well, I have a big plan to uh, get the mortgage. one. <laughs> so. <laughs> Fingers hope crossed. My, hope my next uh, accommodation will be my own house. So.
14: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, Justina, thanks a million for sharing that with us.
6: The opinion Live with PJ Coogan on courts 96 FM.
3: Coming up is anybody in your life with Alzheimer's? In particular, if you are minding a parent or a loved one who has Alzheimer's, you'd be very, very interested in my next guest and the story that she has to tell. that's coming up in just a moment. 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396 Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I mentioned this just after nine. We haven't yet had the starter's pistol fired on the election, although there's every possibility that the t could dissolve the doll tomorrow and call an election for either the 7th or the 14th of February. And that'll bring all sorts of uh, a, a, a news agenda with it when it comes. But one of the things that will be discussed, it's discussed every time, is posters. Should there be a ban on election posters? I see in Carrague line, for example... Where the local tidy towns are mad to have a ban on postering in Carrigaline, Blarney always want a ban on postering. There's a push for a ban on postering in Cove. There's no legal ban on postering. You can't stop anybody from postering in the town. But if you if your local Chamber of Commerce or your local tidy towns doesn't want any posters, then generally most of the candidates will adhere to that for the sake of being on the right side of, of public opinion. So we're going to do a poll, and we'll let it run right up until midday. We're going to start it on Twitter as well. Would you agree with a ban on election pollsters? Poster yes or poster no to 083 396 9696. If you want to ban them? Poster yes. If you want don't want to ban them, poster no to 083-396-9696. A ban on election posters, yes or no. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Or indeed, go to our Twitter page at Opinion Line96. You'll find it there. And we're going to run it for the rest of the morning. So even before the election campaign is officially underway, it's underway underway now in all but name and date, do you want a ban on election posters? Text yes or no or WhatsApp yes or no to 083-396-9696 or go to our Twitter page and you can vote there. On the subject of pets in apartments or flats or wherever you happen to be renting, Rory says, where do you draw the line though? Just allow all tenants to turn their apartment into a wildlife park? Maybe some landlords want to be able to visit their property without being eaten by a snake. I don't agree that landlords' hands should be forced regarding pets. It's their property at the end of the day, says Rory. All right. Now, uh, I want to talk to Kira, Kira Jordan, um, who has wrote a lovely piece in the Irish Times and quite a sad piece in the Irish Times before Christmas about her mum and her relationship with with her mum and how living with her mum over the last number of years has become increasingly difficult because her mum has Alzheimer's um, and it's, it's been very hard and she starts the article by saying it's an odd thing to grieve for someone who is still alive. Kira, that's a very stark opening line. Good morning to you.
16: Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, I suppose it is. Um, it's not something that we regularly talk about and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the article, I suppose. For me, it was this weird feeling I had throughout mum's illness um, and I only really realised that it was full grief in the last couple of months, last year really. Um, and I and I just, I suppose I'm a writer by, by nature so I, I talked about it the way I know how. Um, But also, there's great comfort in in saying it out loud and other people going, yeah, me too. Mm.
3: How how old is your mum?
16: So She'd kill me for saying this on the radio. (laughs) Alzheimer's or not. She's 76 now, so she's quite young to have such late onset um, Alzheimer's. And and when was she diagnosed? So she was diagnosed five, six years ago. um, And initially, she was fine. Um, You know, my mum was a very independent woman. She was very, you know, full of pride and vain and all the rest. And and uh, she was in total denial initially um, she was a bit forgetful she'd be a little bit irritable um, but in general she she seemed fine um, it was only i suppose into the second and third year of the illness really that we started to really see a deterioration and, and i suppose as, as i say in the article we started to mum started to be stolen by alzheimer's and we started mm-hmm. to see those personality traits leave her
3: what was the first inkling cure that something wasn't right
16: Dad's father um, died from Alzheimer's, so it, he dad did have, you know, a little bit of knowledge on it, and we had a little bit of knowledge, and that everyone knows that, you know, with Alzheimer's you get a bit forgetful. So things like she started, um, we needed to repeat things a bit more. Um, she, she, what I, one of the friends that I noticed is that mum would have been very glamorous and really would have taken care of how she looked, and and one time you know she just wanted to go out in her pajamas. And so, you know, there are little personality traits that family members would know, but mm. anyone outside wouldn't have a clue and just think she's grand, you know. Yeah. She also started to get a little bit irritable and she'd get a bit angry and um, think that she'd know random people. Um, and, and so they were the first signs that we thought, okay, yeah. this isn't okay.
3: She, she kind of generally wasn't herself and it's more yeah. than just forgetting things.
16: It is, it is, yeah. And it's a change of personality a little bit you know, um, and it's about getting frustrated and her not being able to find certain words. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's such a cruel illness because in- initially, you know you have it and you know that feeling when you can't remember someone's name, yeah. well it's that constantly. But it's also that, almost, I call it ants in your pants syndrome in that she's never settled, she wants to always go home um, and she always wants to go somewhere but she doesn't know where that is or where home yeah. is. Yeah,
3: yeah. And Compared to what she was like, you know, when you were growing up as a young girl, like, what describe what mum was like before this?
16: Um, so my mum's from Northern Ireland, so she has that great crack. She's she's got Northern Irish bit, um in that. Uh, you know, she's she's quick off the mark and uh, she'd make remarks with you if you needed to. Um, she uh, she's quite glamorous and um, she was always great crack. Everyone always described mum as. It's fun you know like Bernie's like I said at my wedding speech because mum couldn't make my wedding Um but uh, I said you know if mum was here she'd be the first on the dance floor and she'd be the one that's leading the crack Um so it's hard to see that um, yes. now you see glimpses of it every now and then um, of the crack and she still you know would try to, to still have fun with things but it's just that wit and that Northern Irish charm and wit is all is gone. Yeah, and, like,
3: and that's hard. Yeah, how like how is she now? Like, if you were to go to see her now today, yeah, like, like um, this is a hard question to ask. Keira. Oh, it does, is, does she know it's okay. you? Does she know? She you?
16: does. She she knows she has a daughter called Kira, but she doesn't know that that's me. Um, though sometimes she has moments of realization and tells me that I've gotten very old, which is. <laughs> True, true Irish Mabby, but um, she genuinely doesn't know who I am. She generally doesn't know who Dad is. She often asks my dad, where's Jerry? Did you see Jerry? Um, and she's almost gone back to being childlike. Nice. Um, you know, when I say she has that fun, like her fun is sticking her tongue out at you to give out to you. You know, so it's a bit like a child. Um, she, she can, like Mum, physically is fine. She can walk um you know she can you know mobi- mobility is fine it's just i suppose the cognitive is gone sort of lifting a cup of tea is very difficult for her um sometimes eating is very difficult for her mm. but um and and she she has no short term memory at all so you know she or, or and her long term is almost gone as well oh, so it is, yeah, yeah. So, so she often asks, um, you know, can she uh, see her her sister who would have raised her? You know, where was she, and can I go back to her? So, mum is back a childhood, yeah. Um, but she's in long term care now, as of last week, thank God. Um, and uh, she
3: was that a she, hard yeah, decision, Kira?
16: Do you know it wasn't PJ? Because well, it was a hard decision, and that I suppose I'm an only child, and you know it's just me, mom and dad, and and my wife. I suppose is a massive help, but in general, it's it's you know it's so hard to care for for your partner, and dad really struggled with it. and he she wouldn't let him dress her he she wouldn't let him go you know help her go to the toilet and you know, which I suppose is in some ways good because she has that pride, but in other ways it does makes life very difficult and we just weren't able to care for her the way that we we should and that she deserves um whereas she's in a alzheimer's specific home, and um you know they do activities to to really help her, so you know things like women are naturally, they they go to to babies and children and so they have little, very lifelike dolls that, you know, mom nurses you know, like that's natural for her and they have a lot of things that can calm her because she's constantly anxious and everyone wants to go home and is very unsettled and that's really hard, you know, and that was the hardest part of having her at home was settling her um, whereas in the home they know how to do that Um, and also, when I do spend time with her now and when Dad spends time with her, you know, Dad goes in to see her every day. He paints her nails and he makes sure that she looks nice. And, you know, it's yes. quality time now. It's not stressful yeah. trying to just literally get from hour to hour time.
3: Can Can you still have a conversation with her? Like,
16: uh, No, no. no. Mum, Mum would ramble. She'd ramble words. Um, now, I could say certain things to her, like, you know... Um, like I often tell her that our neighbours are nosing in the house, and that will bring her back into giving out. But she's not able to really form sentences properly. Yeah. Um. And I can have a conversation with her almost because I can understand where she's going. Yes. But many can't. Um. Many yeah. don't really understand. She's starting rambling. to
3: lose her words. Is she?
16: Yeah. Like if you met her, you would just she would just be saying random words and random sentences that don't make sense, and and it would be difficult for yourself to have a conversation with her.
3: That that must be very hard to watch. That.
16: Yeah, and as I said, because mum had such amazing wit and charm, um, that's the part that's stolen from you, and I suppose that's part of the the grief that I was talking about when I wrote that
14: article, that,
16: you know, you're grieving who my mother used to be, and there are these massive moments of grief that you get. Like, one of the reasons actually why I wrote the article is because I bought a walnut whip, and my mother was obsessed with walnut whips. And I went home and I was so upset that day and it was pure grief, you know, I just cried and I, I was just lonesome for that mother that I had yeah. and that I no longer have. And and I felt like I'm not entitled to this because I could actually go to Galway and touch my mother and talk to my mother and, yeah. you know, things like for my wedding, you know, mum can see that I'm wearing a wedding ring but she doesn't understand that I'm her daughter wearing her wedding ring. But yet she, she can see it and say nice ring. So it's an odd feeling of, yeah. well, I have like this Like you said earlier grief. on,
3: she, she knows that she has a daughter called yes. Kira, but, but this woman who comes to visit her, she doesn't associate that.
16: No. No. That's, no. That's now, there hard. are random moments that she does, but very rarely does she know that I'm her daughter. Yeah. That's, that's very hard. It is. It is very hard. Um, and, you know, I think there's moments um, when you just, it's just so hard to process, you know. It's it's so hard to kind of and, and a part of you wants to run away from it. But I think, you know, anyone ever says to me, you know, what would you do if it was if you're speaking to people at the beginning of this journey? And I'd always say, you know, try to create cherish those moments as much as possible because, you know, those interactions whenever mom was still okay, just a bit forgetful and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're they're so valuable because she is stolen from me now.
3: Really, you know. Yeah, you you write in the second paragraph that you've heard Alzheimer's described as the long goodbye. A, a great friend of mine called Chris Keating wrote a song called "The Long Goodbye" because his dad died of, of Alzheimer's, and and it mm. is often called that. And yeah, do you know, Kira, Do do, do you how do you do you, do you kind of do you wish that the end would come now? Or do you have any idea what lies ahead for Mum? Um,
16: that's a hard question. It is, and I'm sorry for um, asking it no, so blunt. No, not at all. Um, uh, I suppose there's still those moments that she's still there. That yes. you know, it, they're very, very, very rare. But we still get moments of Mum, and and you know, it's very hard with Dad. You know, he really struggles with with the grief, um, and and. You know, I mean, as you can imagine, like with, with men especially, <laughs> you, you don't like to vocalize your feelings too much. And and yeah. so it's hard for dad to kind of get that out. Um, Are you close to your dad? I'm very close to them. Yeah. As I said, I'm only child, so I'm, yeah. I'm close to so, both of them, you know. It's,
3: have you talked to dad about it?
16: Yes. And I have to say, since writing the, the opinion article and, and even, you know, like all of the awareness that I've had since that, You know, this was the first Christmas mum was in a home, and it was really hard, and and we were dreading it. But we've had messages from strangers, from family members I haven't seen in like twenty years, and you know, even people who have never met that new mum. And you know, one lady, my mum babysat, and she, you know, she reached out to say thank you so much. You really captured your mum and that, and I didn't know she was so sick. So it's this massive support and wave of support from so many people since you know i, I did write that article which is lovely and, and it's almost allowed dad to talk about it more because people are talking to him about it yeah. so you know that awareness and people talking about grief and saying god isn't it awful you know we don't think about it like that and my dad being able to say well yeah actually it is really hard um and that's that awareness thing that i think is important yeah. and i think it's almost missing when it comes to carers, you know like you know, I know that a lot of people talk about pre-death grief, but you don't really understand what it means. Um And I think it needs to be discussed a lot
3: more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it possible for you now to make new memories with her?
16: Well, I suppose for me, it is. I mean, certainly not for mum. I mean, there's some very hilarious moments that happen and you have to find funny sides with it, you know. And, and I, in some ways like, you know, a couple of years ago, like two, three years ago, whenever mom was still a little bit with it, she used to think I was her sister. So she used to kind of tell me stories about boys she would date and all sorts. And mm. you get to know that side of your mother you never would normally know. Um, but in recent years, I suppose, they're, they're, they're tainted memories because they're sad yeah. um, because they're one-sided, you know.
3: Have you ever heard of, her, have any of her carers mentioned to you about um, memory boxes?
16: Yes, she has one, and she has a lovely. She has a lovely book that she goes through, and she'll talk you through. Yeah, um, and God, it's wonderful. And and sometimes she she recognises certain people in us that you would never think she would, or or she'd say certain things in her mind. You know, like it's a fascinating disease. And on Christmas Day, Mum was lucid. Mum ate her dinner. Was she? she had a chat with me. <laughs> you know, wow. like she was able to understand that she got Christmas presents.
3: So you got and a moment.
16: Yeah, now it's only a couple of hours. How much was, did
3: that mean, Kira?
16: Oh, I mean my whole family were just we've done nothing but cry this Christmas. <laughs> you know, and I think that kind of that kind of moment was so lovely because you're dreading Christmas Day of that stress. So it was nice to have that. Um and it was nice I suppose because it was it was a time that she was going into full time care and, and there's a lot
3: around that, you know. Mm, yeah. Do smells trigger her?
16: They don't, but music does. And right. um, when she um when she hears sixties music, um she she starts the toe tap and and sometimes she'll she'll have a bit of a dance with you. Um mm. and animals, so we have a little fake dog that breeds for her that's comforting. It's actually really comforting, I recommend everyone to get it. But <laughs> um, it's really lovely. But um that really brings back so she calls that dog all the names of the dogs we've had for the last so many years. Um so little things like that trigger her. Um, and certain clothes, you know, would, would trigger as well. She, she'd, uh, she'd get excited about, fur, yeah. say.
3: And, and, and so. who, who takes care of you while all this is going on?
16: My poor old wife has to deal with all this <laughs> in the beginning. Um, and she's in massive support for me. And, you know, she's never known one without Alzheimer's, but she's still managed to get close to her. Yeah. Um, and I suppose I'm... I have someone who I can talk to about it, and she's a massive support even to my father now as well. Um, and yeah, so and she's the one that encouraged me to send that article into the Times. So
3: yeah, well, that was a good yeah. day's work on her part. Um, yeah. I suppose you read as well the kind of developments that are out there and the research that's out there. Like, there's a potential out there now. It's it's way down the road yet, but there's a potential out there now that a vaccine could actually be. be on the market or be be, be developed for this that they would recognize that particularly if for example now that your mom has Alzheimer's that you might get vaccinated against it like that's incredible incredible science.
16: Well wouldn't the hope be in a way that you know 20 years ago cancer was the most devastating word and was so terminal and everything was terminal around it wouldn't it be wonderful if if Alzheimer's was the next and and that it was an understood disease and and that you know it wasn't that devastating words that it that it that it is now yeah
3: well I think a lot of people will resonate and and um and relate to what you're saying because I think there's an awful lot of people in the position that you're in and we don't hear from them because no. they're too busy minding their mum or dad
16: they are and I think that's what i'm I'm you know I feel that a lot of people need that that massive support. More than just, I mean, certainly, you know, in rural Ireland, it needs to be a lot more support when it comes to Alzheimer's because, you know, had my mother been in Dublin, the amount of support she would have received would have been amazing. But because she's in rural Galway, um, she just didn't get the support that she should have. Um, And I think that needs to be increased. And I also think care, emotional support needs to be addressed. Because there is stigma around around mental health. I think I you know it's, it's, it's going, but it
3: still needs to be addressed. And one final question, which is an interesting one. Now you're caring for her. It's a reversal of the traditional role. Yeah. Do you find yourself setting your standards to the standards with which she raised you?
16: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean... So it was very difficult for that role reversal with my mother because she was so independent Mm -hmm. so she didn't like us one bit Um, and there are still times that she would note that I'm clearly younger than her maybe not her daughter but someone important to her and she'd give out to me if if I'm too mammy Um, but yeah I suppose you do and you do find that we all turn into our mothers no matter how hard we try not to Um, so yes I, I suppose I am slowly, slowly doing that with her yeah
3: Alright, well listen, I wish you well, I wish her well, and uh, it's, it's a lovely article, and thank you for the conversation today. And my thank best you l- very
10: much. B- best best
3: of, 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 of luck for the future to yourself and to mom. and indeed to your wife and to your dad as well. That's Kira Jordan from uh, the company Fusion PR, who wrote about this in the Irish Times. Um, and there are others, lots of people out there, lots of people out there with a, with a relative who has Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. And there's a lot of people out there with a much younger relative. Here is Mama's seventy-six. is 76. We, I know of someone in their late 50s who has it at the moment. And that's heartbreaking for those around them. 1850 715-996. Kate says, my friend's husband had it. They made a memory box for him of all the things he used to talk about when he was young. He thought he was in a hotel until he died. Memory box is great because they regress back to when they were young. Yeah, I remember a memory box, hearing about a person's memory box one time, and there was a they kept a bar of imperial leather soap in it. And they noticed that if the soap wasn't in the box, the box meant absolutely nothing, but the person would open the box and if the little bar of old imperial leather soap was in it, they would be happy out because the smell of the soap would drift up and almost trigger memories, the photographs and whatever was there. It's fascinating. Talked to another friend of mine over Christmas time and his dad has a form of dementia and they got a load of uh, John Wayne movies for him because he can identify those. They put them on a DVD and they just play them over and, over and over and over again. And and that's what keeps them going and whatever it takes, I guess. 1850 715
6: 96 fm with the solid
10: fuel depot at drew's filling station turner's cross call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cozy nights in solidfueldepot.ie
6: the cork diary
10: on
4: cork's 96 fm the cork sub aqua club an irish underwater council affiliate will be holding its annual tri-dive event on wednesday the 15th of january at 7 p.m at the mayfield sport complex The event is free of charge and aims to give a taste of scuba diving for those who might wish to train as a qualified diver. For more info, check out the club's Facebook page. A crafts and holistic fair in aid of Cork Penny Dinners will take place in the Metropole Hotel, McCurtain Street on Sunday the 26th of January from midday to 5pm. There'll be everything from Reiki and card readings to manicures and hairstyling and all are welcome to attend. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96F
10: the Court Diary with the Wellbeing Network. Connect, take notice, be active, keep learning, and give. See the thewellbeingnetwork.ie
6: on Courts 96 FM. This is Courts Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us
10: now 1850
6: 715 996. On Courts 96 FM. Thank you,
3: Gary. Gary, listening in New Zealand. Love the interview with Kira, and well handled by PJ. Thank you very much, uh, Gary. Do appreciate that. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Now we are hearing that Leo may go to the Oris today to ask uh, President Higgins to dissolve the Doyle and trigger a general election. That's not certain as of now, but as soon as we have it certain we'll bring it to you which kind of makes our text poll even more relevant we want to know do you want to see or would you like to see a ban on election posters we're running it on text and whatsapp we're also running it on twitter if you want to see a ban on election posters wherever your town in general wherever you want to see them text yes or no to 083 396 96 96 text or whatsapp yes or no, to 83 396 six. are also running it on our Twitter page, at Opinion Line 96. And around about a quarter to 12, we'll close the poll, and we will collate the whole lot to give you a figure. We'll try and do a running figure as soon as we can. Seems to be a lot of support for the ban on election posters. It'll probably never happen, but we'd like to know what you think anyway. So text... Yes or no to 083-396-9696. 96. 96. That's a very strong uh, indication coming out of Leinster House now that uh, the Taoiseach will go to the Oris today to try to declare the general election, which will be probably for February the 7th. But if you want to see a ban on election posters, yes or no to 083-396-9696. 96. 96. And indeed, you can go to our Twitter page. Now, I heard Deirdre talking about this yesterday, and I read in the Echo today, that almost 5,000 people have now signed two petitions uh, to try to prevent the deportation of the Khan family, uh, who have been in Cork for more than two years now. They've sought asylum here, and they've made it their home. Hamza, Zubair, Umer, and Matuba Khan, along with their sister, Shazadi and their parents, Mubin and Hina Mubin, are facing deportation later this week. Um, I'm joined in studio by by Hamza Khan and by Aaron Wolf from Kloosh to Eamon Rich. Hamza, welcome to studio. Thank
17: you so much for coming
3: in and (laughs) delighted to meet you. These are nervous days for your family.
17: Yeah, they are very nervous days. Like, it is actually appalling. We are asked to present ourselves to GNIB by Thursday and I don't know what will happen when we go in there. It is a very stressful and very appalling situation here. And, yeah. You came here when in 2017 yeah we did came here in 2017 and then I was unfamiliar about the education system here mm. however I kind of managed to know how does it work and then I finally got into the Deer Park CBS which is now known as Kloster Emen Rees mm. I studied there I got my Leaving Cert there and all my brothers are now in there yeah. my youngest brother is now in um, second year he's just 14 years old he have friends here and he is happy here. Like, imagine uprooting a fourteen years old boy yeah. from his school out. He, and he already in, speaks with a Cork accent. I'm told. Yeah. We were
18: doing interviews with Matuba earlier, and we, we were doing interviews with Matuba earlier, and we've never heard a fella say like so many times in in one interview. You know, uh, that's one uh, habit that we have to yeah. get to drop the cans from doing things like. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but um, how's it like? When did you get word that it was all going wrong shall we say
17: Well it happened in December I got a letter specifying um refusal on the appeal and then af- and then that was a christmas time and the new year time and after that now in January uh, I was, um, there was a letter sent from uh, from the protection officer in Dublin and specifying that uh, you have to present yourself in uh, on the GNIB, which is known as the Garda National, National Immigration, Immigration Bureau, Bureau, to be there on that's Thursday. Down, that's yeah. down
3: in Anglesey Street, Garda Station, the desk down there, isn't it? Or do you have no, to go no, to
17: no, no, no. It's not the It's not the uh, Garda Station and car. No. It's something completely different. You have it to go is to something Dublin. in Dublin on, um, yeah, it is something in Dublin uh, it's like a kind of difference to do which kind of deals with these kind of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Colm,
3: you left Pakistan originally and then went to no. Saudi Arabia. No, uh,
18: the, the the Khan brothers were all born in Saudi Arabia, so they were never in Pakistan. Right. Their father was from, their, fa- their parents are from Pakistan. Okay. But the Khan boys were all born in Saudi Arabia. Okay. So okay. Hamza has never lived in
3: You've never lived in Pakistan. So you came from Pakistan to the United Kingdom and from the United Kingdom yeah. to here. Yeah. And I think it's something we should probably get out of the way. A lot of people, when they spoke about this yesterday, were messaging to know, well, why under a thing called the Dublin Agreement, you know, why not England? Why wouldn't you go back to the UK?
17: Well, the thing is, I would really love to discuss these things with you, but because of the legal situation of the case, I I really can't speak on that.
18: Okay. And I suppose one of one of the main points would be that the Cans have been allowed to live here since 2017. I mean, there are only a very short time in England, maybe only a couple of days, but it's they've been here since 2017. They've enrolled in school, yeah. and one of our major issues is that the boys should be allowed to finish their formal education in Ireland. I mean, we have a first-class education system in this country. Yeah. England doesn't compare. So, that alone, sending anyone to school in England would be an injustice of itself, you know.
3: The, the, you've become, of course, you're, you're the principal out now. I'm
18: the acting you're. principal of Claustram uh, and Rich.
3: Yes, and, and Hamza is in New now, aren't you, Hamza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you've got all the others there.
18: Yes, we have the three, three other boys and they're great. And Hamza was a student of ours. He arrived and we put him into fifth year and he did two years and he completed his leaving cert, um, which is a huge achievement on its own because... To go from not having done a junior cert to anything straight into leaving cert yeah. in a foreign country uh, with limited English, mm-hmm. and to come to the stage where Hamza is so articulate yeah. he can give radio interviews—that's yeah. testament to
17: these guys Isn't
18: it? and their their love of learning and willingness to learn.
17: What are you studying in UCC? I'm studying computer science in right. UCC. Yeah, right. yeah.
3: And, uh, and you enjoy it?
17: Yeah, I love it. I really love it. There are loads of uh, modules that I really love and and I'm hoping to complete my four-year education at UCC. Yeah,
18: yeah. Uh, and what's what fantastic about UCC is because because uh, Hamza is not an EU citizen, he would be eligible to pay fees, college fees of up to 12000 a year. But UCC and their fantastic grants and their fantastic um, awards and scholarships allowed Hamza to attend university on a scholarship. But if he's moved to the UK, he won't get a scholarship. So that's the end of Hamza going to university. He will simply become someone who is reliant on the state. Mm. And that in itself is wrong. So what we want people to look at really is that if the boys are allowed to stay in this country and they're allowed to complete formal education and they have the willingness to go to UCC and become skilled graduates... Mm they become taxpayers and they pay back into the country yeah, and they can repay us for everything the country has done for them.
3: Well, clearly, Hamza, I mean, you doing computer science, another couple of years, you'd, you'd, you'd have a degree in it. You could go and work yeah. in any form. We are a thriving IT nation.
17: Yeah. You know, yeah. We, I, I personally want... To be like a functioning member of the Irish society, so do my brothers and my family to be independent and to contribute back to Ireland for what they have done for us and amount of support we are getting and we really want to give back to Ireland
3: yeah I'm going to take a commercial break guys stay with me. I want to talk a little bit about facing into the uncertainty of the next forty eight hours. I want you to talk to me a little bit about how you and your your brothers and their, and the rest of your family are feeling. So we'll just take a quick break and we'll come back to that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
6: The Opinion Line on Cork's
10: 96FM With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. SolidFuelDepot.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your
6: guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. Orbital
1: plus very special, guests will play live at the Marquee Cork on Saturday, June 20th. In 2020, Orbital will be celebrating their 30th anniversary with the Orbital 3.0 Tour and it features new music and remixes of the classics. Tickets are on sale now. Access all areas. She's sold over 40 million albums to date across her career, made two of the best-selling albums in British chart history, and this summer, Dido will take to the stage and live at the Marquee Cork on June 10th. Tickets for this show are on sale now. Access all areas. If you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can mail us on AAA at 96fm.ie and we'll tell Cork all about it.
10: Access All Areas.
6: Your guide to nightlife on side On Cork's 96fm. This is Cork's. Gold EMRO Award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text
10: or WhatsApp now. OE33969696.
6: On courts 96 FM. And with
3: Hamza Khan um, and Aaron Wolf uh, from uh, close to Amon Rich and of course Hamza who's facing you and your family facing deportation this Thursday. Hamza. Um, I mentioned nervous times at the start I think that's probably the understatement of the year tell me what it's like at the moment for you and your brothers and your sister and your folks
17: well the situation is currently appalling it is it is very 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 stressful situation of in my entire life and my family's life and they're just thinking what's going to happen and it is it is a horrible situation because it would be back
3: back to Saudi
17: would it? Uh, no, back to the back to England. Back to England. Yeah, and yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. That's fearful, and as I said, we can't go into the legal situation. So let's stay with that. But interestingly enough, the thirty first of January is, is is Brexit Day, and if you guys were to hang around here or be able to hang around here until then. This would be the first European country you landed in, so you might be okay then.
17: Yeah, we still don't know. Like you know, there might be other laws or stuff. I really don't know about. It's like I'm not, not, I'm not like a law expert or anything. So I I
18: suppose we we would be of the opinion in our school and in UCC that uh, the boys um, they're a great uh, addition to Irish society. I don't know. Do we achieve anything of getting rid of guys that really want to better themselves? Yes. You know, this? the the real point of this is you have four brothers and their sister who really want to better themselves and not rely on the state. If they're sent to England, they become people who will be forced to rely on the state because they will lose their formal education. So this is our point. Sending them to England will be to the detriment to the boys and to the, the the British state because they become then reliant on benefits. And
3: I guess to us as well. I mean to this country too because you, Hamza, will be useful in society. So will your brothers and your sister. Talk to me actually a bit about about your sister because um, she had she had difficulty settling in here to any kind of education yeah, system. Well,
17: well, the thing was when we came here in 2017 here and she wasn't allowed to go to school just because on age grounds they said like she's over 18 so she wasn't able to go to secondary school. And at that time, she wasn't even allowed to work because it wasn't allowed for an asylum seeker to work at that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, because of that, she ended up for one year doing nothing and stuck, in, stuck up in uh, direct provision up there. And uh, it was a sad full time of her life. She wasn't allowed the education. However, after a year passed, she um, she heard that there was uh, some kind of leaving cert courses or being, which was running all, all over Cork mm-hmm. in some different colleges. And again, then then there is the international fees things comes in. And even though, if even though if someone pays that, fee, they need some specific documentation to study in the college, mm-hmm. and um, she wasn't able to go complete her living cert there. And then I talked about this to the home school liaison teacher in um, in our class time in RDR audiopraxis B.S., which was his, it was known as, mm-hmm. and um, she helped us to get a place for her in Brespra Training Center, where she uh, only got around five months to complete her living cert. Okay. She did, but since it wasn't a very good living cert. She she did she it wasn't like strong enough for her yeah. to get a place in the UCC or CIT yeah. so after that um just to improve her education she'll get another chance in Mayfield training center yes. where she is doing hospitality and tourism Excellent. and she have already done her first semester after long long struggle finally she's on her route to get something which is equal and two leaving cert mm-hmm. which is known as something QQI level 4 and yeah. Uh, yeah, so she have already done her first semester in the Mayfield Training Centre, yeah. and she'll be continuing with her second semester now. Excellent. And then after that, she might be able to get a place in CIT in in a tourism or any kind of management yeah. service.
3: Because as, as as we talk about every year, there are so many ways into the the, the third level now. Umar then is in transition year.
18: Yes, uh, they're great guys. I mean, uh, Umar's in transition year. We were just having a great chat. They're great sportsmen. They're all into soccer, they're all into cricket. Um, Umar is doing his uh, work experience every Monday. So, again, that's their work ethic. They go off every Monday and they do work experience as part of a uh, transition year in Klaus, Aim, and Reach. And again, they're into their academics. He's picking his subjects. Then there's Zuber, who is in fifth year. So, he's already begun his. Leaving Cert um, course um, We're at Christmas So a lot of the work Is done in fifth year As you well know PJ yes. So they're they're studying already And Zuber was scouted there Because he's a great cricketer yeah. And he's Cricket player of the year um, I think Plays with Harlequins Does he? Yeah, um, he, the, yeah, does, yeah he does yeah. yeah and Munster Cricket Were t- uh, tweeting Uh, about him yesterday so again the great talented guys and then we have Machuba who's in second year and he's he's, again he's in his junior cycle and as anyone knows on the junior cycle reform he's already now completed CBAs and a lot of the
3: work that goes towards his junior cycle exams so Hamza this is 10 to 11 on Tuesday morning so so what time have you been told to present yourselves in Dublin on Thursday
17: Uh, in the afternoon in In the the afternoon afternoon at around 1 o'clock Okay, two o'clock, yeah. And they're not allowed to bring anyone with them, a kind of legal representative.
18: They just have to go themselves and present themselves. But we're hoping that the Edmund Rice Schools Trust, which is the trust body of our school, and we, they're responsible for 96 schools in the country, uh, the CEO, Jerry Bennett, and Eddie Burke, the main people of Earth, will be up in Dublin to support the Cannes family when they arrive. And they will go with the, to the centre with them to offer them that support. And we want the Cannes to know that they have the support of all 96 uh, voluntary secondary schools and primary schools that. Are in the Edmund Rice Schools Trust Network which is a great support for young and you know PJ was on yesterday saying young people we want young people in secondary schools to get behind this because young people today have a great um, awareness of social injustice and this is socially unjust.
3: Can I put it to you because people will want me to put it to you and and you sound like you'd be an, app. You, you every single one of you would be an asset to this country by the sounds of you but I guess people will say Um, Hamza that the law is
17: the law I do respect their views on law is the law oh well here we are considering humanitarian grounds like what is fair and what is unfair Mm. like removing a 14 year old boy from his education Mm. is that is that fair That's not. And look, the law has been.
18: The
3: law has been. I don't want to say. Could be made, and again, I'm only making it because somebody else will. The argument could be made. Well, when he when he started in the school, Aaron. Yes. You know, you knew that this day could come. But did we know? We were never notified that the cans
18: would be removed. I mean, how could the state leave someone live here three years if they were to be sent back to the UK? Why wait three years? Mm. Why not a month? Or why not give them longer notice? Why not say, look, we're going to send you back, but prepare you for it. This is out of the blue. I mean, they've been allowed to live here for three years. They've made roots. You only have to spend a weekend in Cork City, and you'd want to live here forever. Could you imagine what it'd be like to be torn away from this wonderful city how do you, after three
3: years? How do your mom and dad feel about this, Hamza?
17: They're stressed. They're distorted about this. Like they wouldn't know this would like suddenly come out of nowhere and start happening. Like, and it is, it is like a sudden, sudden thing. Like a letter just change whole situation into a into an appalling situation. Like, mm. I'm amazed
3: that you can sit there so calmly and talk to me about this with what's hanging over Well, and,
17: and poor Hamza has been
18: carrying, and, and his brothers, because the parents have uh, little English because they've had no opportunity to upskill, because they're not allowed to enter education. But Hamza and his brothers, they're carrying the can of this. It's a tremendous responsibility for four teenagers to have to cope with. I mean, it's, it's totally unjust. And thank God, he, I suppose, he has the support of UCC and ourselves and the Edmund Rice Schools Trust cause, and, and the media.
3: There is magnificent support for him. As I said, 5,000 people uh, have signed signed... Petitions. I think people are now realizing that that you know, in the direct provision system, there are many many people who could be of great benefit to this country of ours.
18: Well, Shazadi sums up. Uh, their sister Shazadi sums up how uh, the people put into direct provision their futures are put on hold. We had a girl there willing to work, willing to study, but her life was put on hold. She was put in up into a warehouse for people for one full year, where she was able to do nothing. I and mean, that's very demoralising, you know. Uh, direct provision is 20 years old this year and I think it's time for the next government to really look at changing it to a more uh, a caring but short-term solution to this the original, problem.
3: Uh, the original plan, I think, was it was all be done and dusted within six months. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a pipe. Listen, Hamza, please, to you and, and your family, please convey our best wishes and yeah. we really, really hope that this works out for you in some form. And I would love to talk to you either on Thursday or after Thursday, if there's any development at all at all, or even before this, if you hear anything, please do yeah. come I will and let surely, us know. Yeah. The support yeah. for you is... Yeah. Look, listeners asking the same thing, but, you know, about legal this and legal that. The law is the law, well and good, but you guys have contributions to make here. Aaron, thank you as well for coming in. Aaron Wolf. Thanks from, a million, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so to Eamon Rees and Hamza Khan. Thanks, guys. 1850 Bit of a breaking story. Former the apprentice candidate, Sandra Murphy, has been added to the Cork North Central ticket for the general election for Fianna Fáil. More on that as we get it. The
6: Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
10: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie You guys ready? Watch out
6: drive home weekdays from 4
4: on Cork's 96FM Hey it's Lorraine, this week on the show we'll see how well you know your music the one second song continues you pick the playlist on the takeover we'll get you the latest on Cork traffic with the 96FM Street Fleet and it's all wrapped up with the best music mix for your big drive home.
6: The big drive home
4: with GoBus.ie reliable
10: non-stop return services from Cork to Dublin City and Airport. Seat sale now on at GoBus.ie. Cork's 96
6: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM. Saturday the
3: 8th of February. Yes, you are hearing me correctly. We will be voting on a Saturday. I think it's the first time we've ever voted in a general election on a Saturday. Saturday the 8th of February, three weeks from this Saturday. Now, the doll has not been dissolved as yet. Uh, It's supposed to resume later today or tomorrow but we don't even think it's going to resume now it's going to go straight to the oris and seek uh, the dissolution just wondering who will have the first poster up in cork though i don't believe they're entitled to put posters up until such time as there actually has been a dissolution of the doll by the president and that effectively moves the wheels for the election to take place but we're told that leo's own posters have started going up in dublin this morning. Let's run our text poll right up to about quarter to ten to twelve though. Do you want any election posters this time out? Would you like to see a ban on election posters? Text or WhatsApp yes or no to 083 396 96 96. We're also running that poll on our Twitter. 1850 715 996 text 083 396 96 96 and the email opinion at 96fm i e let's bring in a short notice john lee who's political editor of the irish mail on sunday john is this the first time we'll ever have had a general election on a saturday thanks and good morning
19: morning, morning pj uh, i'll be voting f- yes for the retention of election posters i <laughs> think they're a uh, they're really? a wonderful addition to our countryside <laughs> um as man has been hit in the head by a few down the years the um I'm uh, like yourselves. Just hearing this in the last couple of minutes, I got a, I got a text from someone in the government buildings to say this this was the was the plan. Now, my dear wife, who is a greater expert in politics than I am, says there there was one. I I, I don't know off the top of my head when that was, and I haven't a chance to to ask anyone. So. Uh, I, I, I honestly that' it 's about four minutes ago or four minutes before I got a call from your producer to go on air, so i don 't know i, I, I don 't know how it goes.
3: We just wanted it, to catch it. up with you. The situation is at the moment though that certainly he seems to be preparing for an announcement there's a public address system going up he He, he delayed or he rescheduled the cabinet meeting this morning, and presumably we 're going for it yes we 're off and
19: running. Um, a, a horrific time of year for, for a general election, and that's not because people are worried about politicians running around in the the, the snow and the rain. The, all research shows that uh, the electors engage much better with um, politicians um, in, in the spring or the summer. It's just, it, I don't need to explain to you all the reasons for that, but people will not enjoy, particularly um, people living in constituencies that just had a by-election opening their front
3: doors, but nevertheless, he he wanted May. Michal Martin had a preference for April. Has his hand been forced, John? I I think it it, it has, but it, it's surprising that he has let us um, be forced because um,
19: you know they have kept this going for so long. Much um, as uh, um, the T-shirt doesn't like to highlight this, Finnegan are in. Um, uh, Confidence supply since 2016. He seems to think that the government has only really begun since he came in there, if you listen to his statements. And um, it, they kept it going for four years against all kinds of trials through budgets and everything else. And then it, just come, it has fallen down. Mm. There are people in his own party feel that it makes Leo Bracker look slightly weak because he let, um, and, you know, Taoiseach should rule with an iron hand. He let Francis Fitzgerald go to Europe. Uh, he let Dara Murphy um, take up a job in Europe and, and the case is seat, uh, uh, seat the door. and Peter Fitzpatrick many felt, I'm sure Peter himself that there's been a little more effort to keep him on side as yeah. well than other votes so,
3: He doesn't have uh, the numbers now to get a crucial no, uh, vote like saving a no. minister from a no conference He doesn't have the votes now
19: No, so the, for, for a variety of reasons, Leo Varadkar would say in in opposition to all that, that uh, John McGuinness has declared that he's going to vote against the government, which is essentially two votes. So, Sinn um, fall have played their role as well. Mm. We we don't have the numbers. It's it's a surprise that it has come to this because a lot of legislation is now going to fall. But um, the T some would say. Uh, in his own party, is again that he he was planning this for Christmas when it became very tight in a
3: no confidence vote of the mm. housing minister. Well, he did say uh, on Sunday, didn't he, uh, that he had his he had a date in mind and that he would brief everybody in 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 the fullness of time. But he said he had decided on the date for himself. Now we understand that Michael D has an empty diary for the rest of the day, um. So so he could go any time from now. The, the, is is. Is the understanding that he will make the announcement now shortly, and then go go to the to, to the RS, and that in fact this doll has sat?
19: Right ha- it's pouring rain in Dublin. Um, there again, these, these these matters play a role that the um, the Taoiseach would like to have good TV. I'm sure all the viewers out there and listeners would like to get good audio um, and photographs, etc. Entering the, the historic moment that he asks the the um, president to dissolve the doll. Up at Oris on. so that is going to happen imminently. Again, media scheduling comes into things, and he would like to the Taoiseach would, would like, I'm sure, to hit the hit the news headlines as people are coming home from work this evening. So a lot there would be a either an announcement of government buildings, and then he goes to the park, mm. uh, dissolves the asks the president to dissolve the doll, and then return most likely to central Dublin to give a press conference with his with his alongside his front bench and launch their launch their campaign.
3: And we we we, we did hear that a lot of uh, Fine Gael houses were having campaign meetings in the front room over the weekend so certainly they've been they've been gearing up for, for this. There's one interesting one though isn't there John with regard to the the, the, the new register of electors. That doesn't kick in until the 15th of February. Now, that would potentially exclude thousands of people from having a vote in this election. Is there anything that he could do or needs to do to make that... Can he change that?
19: I, I understood that it, that was discussed at Cabinet this morning. Now, from people I spoke to, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's said it's unlikely that that can be changed. And if we're to believe the government, um, an awful lot of new houses have been built in the last year, an awful lot of people, and certainly my own area, there are a lot of new houses people have just moved into them. So, uh, as I understand it, this morning it was it was deemed difficult. Mm. The matter was discussed to cabinet; they're only just out of cabinet. So, um,
0: mm.
3: I could something uh, like a statutory instrument change uh, that date?
19: The government can do anything they want. Um, that, as I've always said, whatever spin comes out from from government, we bailed out banks in in, in a period of about five days to the tune of uh, 80 billion quid so um, if they want it yes it could be done um, but as instrument as you point out this you know it could be done this morning I guess uh, it's whether they want it or not whether it suits them uh, whether it suits Fine Gael uh, I can't see how it, it necessarily wouldn't uh, um, Leo Varadkar would Expect himself to get a lot of the younger voters, and the younger voters are, are more likely to go on the supplementary uh, and register as they have in recent years, in some of the social the social votes we've
3: had. So they can um, they can get those they can get that day changed if they want to. But you understand, changed. we're
19: moving very quickly this morning, so yep. we have we have no idea what okay. happened in cabinet, well, that- where a number of things were tied up. There were even just judicial appointments at cabinet this morning, so. Yep. They were uh, they were rubber stamping
3: a lot of things. I'll let you get back across it, John, and thanks for joining me. At short notice, that's John Lee, political editor of the Irish Mail on Sunday. As we have it now, we haven't had the starting pistol fired as yet, but we know where the finishing line is. It is Saturday, the 8th of February. Uh, it was done, the very first Doyle was voted on back in 1918, on a Saturday, And we had the Nice Referendum. One of the Nice Referendums was also on a Saturday. Thanks for that. 18.50, 715, uh, 996. Few comments coming in. There'll be no day off, so, for the primary school teachers and no day off for the primary school kids. No, but they'll probably still use the schools, I guess, uh, as polling stations. I imagine they will. They'll have to. 18.50, 715, 996. Just that story that broke there before 11 o'clock. Sandra Murphy, uh, formerly of The Apprentice, will be joining the Fianna ticket in Cork North Central. Uh, She'll be up there with Councillor Tony Fitzgerald, with Deputy uh, Padraig O'Sullivan, of course from the by-election, he won that seat, and then also with former Lord Mayor and Councillor Tony Fitzgerald. Tony, that's an announcement we were kind of half expecting that Sandra would be on the ticket. Good morning.
12: Good morning uh, PJ, and uh, I'm just uh, delighted to announce that yes, that's confirmed, that a uh, I've been added to the ticket uh, by the Fianna Fáil party uh, mm. to run in the election, and I'm very honoured and delighted and proud um, to be nominated, and I will give it all my energy um, and uh, in the campaign to be a, a new voice uh, for the, uh, the people of Cork North Central. Yeah,
3: Your you're, you're, you're campaigning is as, as we speak, but I suppose, is, it, is it, will, will this be greeted, Tony, with a sigh of relief by the politicians or or would we all have preferred for it to be later in the year. Uh,
12: well, I think you know. I mean, you know, the political rumor, rumors were circulating for a long time now, particularly just before Christmas and then over Christmas. And uh, we, in the fall, have been preparing. We um, this since twenty sixteen when the, um, the MEP Billy Keller got a, a huge vote in the twenty sixteen election, um, and um, so like the response by the people. On, uh, on in the constituency to us has been very strong and very favourable. So uh, we mm. did run two candidates then. So it's been our ambition to run two candidates um, uh, over the last number of years, and, and, and we've all been working away to make to, to do that.
3: And, and now, um, and now so. you're going to be running three in a in a four-seater, yes. which is going to be a bit of, a, a bit of a, a, a battle there. How do you feel about the addition of Sandra Murphy?
12: Well, I, I, mean, I know Sandra well. She worked with the Four hotels group. She's she's a great ambassador uh, in terms of promoting Cork. Um, you know, and I've got to I've got to know her and a lot of a lot of the the, the uh, her colleagues at the Tourism Ministry when I was Lord Mayor of Cork. And she she'd be a great uh, addition to the ticket. We'll mm-hmm. walk together. herself um, Sandra myself and Caudy. Uh, now that we've been selected, we will sit down and we'll look at the constituency and look at the needs of the constituency and we'll put together what the needs are and prepare a plan. But from my point of view, i uh, will be standing on a on
3: a on a proven track record. Um, yeah. No, just just to, to stay with with Sandra, because uh, straight away yeah. the some of the messages that are coming in, um, Tony and indeed I may well be able to speak to her shortly. But yeah, like were there not people with a a proven track record in local politics that could have been put on a ticket, rather than someone who already they're calling her a parachute candidate?
12: Peter, the, the, the important message here is that the, that the Fianna Fáil party has a lot of candidates, a lot of people, a lot of members who are interested in politics. There's 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 um, there's a number of seats available. Um, we've all made our made our pitch to be the, the nominee. We went before convention, um, uh, and um, you know that that well, I'm glad to say that within the Fianna Fáil party, we have a lot of people who are interested. In running for, for for local elections and for and for the title, and you know Sandra is a welcome addition, um, mm-hmm. and you know you know I think the three of us would be a, a very very strong. Ticket. But two seats, uh, two seats, seats in a four seater seat would be a massive idea. ask.
3: Can you do it? Two seats in a four seater. two seats in a four seater would be a huge ask. Could you do it? Well,
11: well, I
12: I think I think, uh, I think my own view is that uh, the, the people of the North side are sick and tired of protest politics. Um, there's a lot of huffing and puffing, a lot of lot of loud noises being made by people with very little action. Um, I'm going on my own track record as a, as a local representative uh, at the city, uh, a city here, a former mm-hmm. Lord Mayor. I think I did a very good job from the feedback from the people. So I'll be bringing all my my yeah. energy and my workload here in the city. Um, so
3: definitely uh, def- th- three of you in there campaigning like Billy o for, for for two seats out of four. One, you, one might think there's one certain seat, but trying to get the second one will be a huge ask, I guess. Councillor Tony Fitzgerald of Finfall added to the ticket for Cork North Central. I wish you, Tony, and uh, every other candidate from here on in uh, the very best of luck. Once it all kicks in, we're going to be following all sorts of rules and regulations and stopwatches and time and this and that and other... But for now, we're just sort of announcing the fact that the election will be, we're almost 100% certain now, the 8th of February. Fia Kelly of the Irish Times has tweeted in the last couple of minutes that the Taoiseach is now calling opposition leaders to tell them of February the 8th being polling polling day, television opportunities and announcements, formal announcements within the hour. So it's the 8th of February, lads.
6: They're off. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the
10: Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie.
6: The Cork Diary
10: on
4: Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Sub Aqua Club, an Irish Underwater Council affiliate, will be holding its annual tri dive event on Wednesday, the 15th of January at 7 pm at the Mayfield Sport Complex. The event is free of charge and aims to give a taste of scuba diving for those who might wish to train as a qualified diver. For more info, check out the club's Facebook page. A crafts and holistic fair in aid of Cork Penny Dinners will take place in the Metropole Hotel, McCurtain Street on Sunday, the 26th of January from midday to 5 p.m. There'll be everything from Reiki and card readings to manicures and hairstyling, and all are welcome to attend. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Diary at ninety six F. Fm.ie.
10: The Cork Diary with the Wellbeing Network. Connect, take notice, be active, keep learning, and give. See the on Corks
6: 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or
10: WhatsApp now. Oe three three ninety six 96.
6: on Corks 96 FM. Let's keep our poll going. It's
3: even more interesting now than it was for the remainder of the, or for the previous couple of hours. Do you want a ban on election posters? Yes or no to 083 396 96 by text or WhatsApp, or indeed we're running the same poll on our Twitter page. We'll collate the whole lot before we pack up at five to twelve. The two stories this morning: Christina Finn of the Journal.ie has just tweeted that it's it's nailed down now. It'll be the eighth of February will be uh, polling day. The dissolution of the Dáil expected to take place this afternoon. Uh, the uh, President will formally grant a dissolution of the Dáil this afternoon, which means that if you're on the register, if you put your name down on the draft register uh, last September, October, like you were told to do, remember the ads that run on the radio and the television and in the newspapers that you're supposed to put your name on the register if you've moved house or bought a new house or whatever, and you put your name on the register and you thought it would all kick in nicely. It won't, because the register doesn't kick in till the 15th of February. So if you're in a, if you on the draft register, you probably won't have a vote. That and other things will need to be sorted out. Not a lot of love in the room, though, for Sandra Murphy and the decision by Fina Fall to add her to the ticket. Am I going to I'm going to 4MID to Finbar. Finbar, are you not too pleased about this? Good morning.
20: Good morning, Peter. <clears throat> I happened to have the occasion to be with Tony Fisher. He was acting as a law mayor at uh, an occasion in Family Community Centre, the, uh, the Old Force Party. And, look, because of the occasion, anyway, he me a bit about politics, and fair play, he responded. But I tell you, unless I'm, I read him completely wrong. He never expected a third person to be out of there. Never in Norway. way. Mm. I tell you the truth, I never heard of her. Susan Murphy never heard of her. The same as Pauly Sullivan. I never heard of him. And suddenly he turned up in the North Central and, get, and got elected by, by a desperate small vote. I mean, 25% of the bill of votes anywhere And he didn't even reach the quarter to get to get elected. To me, that's not a good sign. But in fairness, as I said to your research today, the person I feel satisfied is Kenneth Flynn. Mm. And his whole family up to their father in Fianna Fáil all their lives. And they, they really had to step him in the back. And he was talking to his father over the weekend down in Blackpool, and he would pretty put out about it. As he said himself, and I agree once, I give my life to that party, he said, look what I've done to, to my son. And I agree wholeheartedly with him. Mm. He's a um, nice lad, He was the other son the action Circle, he up himself, and he does his party piece, he sings a couple of songs. But I'll say that, I thought... I thought, bringing in Polly Sullivan was wrong first year? What was wrong with twenty fisher What was wrong with Kenneth mm-hmm. They've been there all their lives to, yeah. for he- helping Fianna No, Now they're bringing in the students. Uh, um, Sandra, Murphy. Sandra Murphy,
3: yeah. Well, yeah she- she- Sandra she's bi- she's Bishopstown-based, and, of yeah. course, North Central now runs out into Bishopstown. So I, I geography does, is does a factor, say. at least. You know.
20: But I tell you, between them, Fianna Farr are going to lose their seat because I believe Kenneth Flynn is going to go independent now.
3: Well, the rumour is certainly out there. We've been trying to contact him to see can we confirm that. No answer so far from any of his uh, contact numbers. Finbar, thank you for that, 185715996. The election pollster poll is still going on. If you want them banned, vote yes to 83 96 96. If you don't, vote no. That's text to WhatsApp. We're also running them, uh, a poll on our Twitter page. Luke, uh, Luke, you're with the Labour Party, aren't you? Good morning. Hi, PJ.
2: Uh, I am, but I'm, I, I'm a member of the Labour the, the, the Party. But I'm actually uh, speaking in my capacity as a
3: political scientist on mm. the uh, on the poster no, issue. Just from here on in, anybody who will be taking part, we, their political affiliations, we kind of need to lay them public. So you, you, and you did run previously. On, yeah, No. Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 No. I, You're I think against people from the poster ban.
2: I am. Yes. Um, not necessarily opposed to discussing um, what the alternatives might be but this uh, sort of notion that's come up in recent years of a blanket ban on election posters I actually think it's quite a dangerous proposition uh, in terms of the impact it could have on our democracy and the reason I'm saying that is, you know, as I say my, my day job and the capacity I'm speaking in today as a political scientist, we look at campaigns and we look at the effect that styles of campaigning and other uh, factors can have on the outcomes of political processes, including elections. And something that political scientists and the research that we do would indicate is that postering can be a pretty important part of this uh, this campaigning phase. Uh, In particular, posters seem to be very important in driving voter turnout um, as well as promoting lesser-known candidates, so you know, trying to put new faces um, out there, put new names out there, and give a and uh, give some opportunity to to new arrivals into the political scene. Posters seems to be particularly important to those people. Mm. Postering bans tend to favour incumbents; they tend to in favour uh, to favour bigger names who mm. maybe have had a longer time to uh, promote themselves.
3: Yeah. Um, but look, sure, don't we have don't we have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and God alone knows what else these days? Don't we have a whole new world of advertising online now? Do we really need to see twelve pictures of Simon Coveney or anybody else down the main street of Carrick Line? We know what he looks like. We know there's an election on. Do we need all those posters?
2: So there's two things to say about that. One is, sure, the volume is definitely a question we could look at, but actually a lot of people um, who maybe aren't as heavily engaged in the uh, in the interest of politics, and look, I know I'm speaking to a, a fellow political nerd, so this doesn't <laughs> really apply to us in the slightest, but for a lot of people, until the posters go up, they actually don't know that an election is happening. It seems to be a very important part of uh, creating that recognition. And on the, the social media question, um, you know, my, my colleague in UCC, Dr Teresa Reedy, wrote a very uh, cogent piece about this in the Irish Independent uh, around the time of the local elections last year. The idea that there's lots of uh, sources of information on elections to voters now that are all broadly interchangeable, it's kind of a myth. Like, these types of information source, they're not the same as each other at all. And the thing about social media, first of all, Not everybody is on social media. Now, I know that myself and others will be known as kind of um, maybe prolific users of Facebook and Twitter. But, you know, that's not the case for everybody. Um, and I think it would be a retrograde step to assume that that was the case because we run the risk of excluding older voters, voters who maybe don't have the technology or the, the, the broadband speeds to be in getting the most of their news sources from those areas. Uh, that would be a backward step. I mean, in 1999, we made a decision to put the photos of candidates on ballot papers in order to offset the um, the difficulties that people with lower levels of literacy might have mm-hmm. in, in recognising their candidates. So that would be a total change in direction where we could start excluding people uh, from engaging in the conversation. The other thing about social media is that not all use and uh, not all experience of use is universal. What I mean by that is, due to voter targeting, and we talked about the Cambridge Analytica scandal this, on the this show previously and so on, um, what I see on social media is not the same as what you see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we might have different interests, we might have uh, sort of different information about ourselves that are used to target us by advertisers, um, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee that we'll see the same ads. Now, that means that if you see something um, that is erroneous, that is misleading, and that I know is not the case, but maybe, you know, it's not something that's available to the person
3: who does see the ads... It's the old one, Luke, that a lie is twice around the world before the truth has his boots on. So the the, the research is saying that, yes, posters are important in, in, in campaigning. But Antoinette says, look, we all have a front door. We can all be knocked upon and spoken to, we don't need posters.
2: Well, we're looking at a very short campaign in this election, BJM. To be honest older. with you, even, even in longer ones, it can be, you know, quite the efforts to actually meet people at their doorstep. I mean, I, as a, a local election candidate previously, as I've been on to the show, um, you know, I did a door knocking three times a day for you know several weeks before that election, and I didn't get to speak to everybody in the constituency, because not everybody is at home at all times. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, to just comment on the effect that some of these bans could have, um, in addition to you know this idea that posters are important because they happen in the public space and they can be debated and discussed uh, in sort of an objective way, there's also a pretty direct indication that turnout tends to be lower where partial or full poster bans are in place. Uh-huh. Now, last night, just because I, I know I'd be talking about this today, I, um, I did some back-of-the-envelope calculations using the tally from last year's local election. Uh, for the South Central Ward, City South Central Ward, which is where I, I was standing. And um, there was 36 polling stations for that ward. And of those 36 polling stations, five uh, w- had catchment areas that included either a partial or full poster or ban. So an area where the local residents association, the Tidy Talons Committee, Business Association, et cetera, would have requested that uh, candidates didn't poster and that were, for the most part, um, uh, complied with. And if you look at those five, So I I did a a, a small statistical calculation known as a simple regression model that found that the presence of a ban had a statistically significant negative effect on turnout. So where a ban was in place, it correlated with at least 10 percentage points less turnout. So, that up to 10% of the electors in that area were encouraged to stay home. Now, to put that another way, of the five polling stations affected by a ban, only one of them recorded a turnout that was higher than the overall turnout figure of 44.62%. That's that's interesting. Uh, The other other four were way below it. So, so,
3: so it has a statistical effect on on turnout. Finally, though, and I guess in, in this new green awareness world in which we now live, big. Yard-size squares of plastic that will last forever. They're going against the grain of the of the whole climate change and environmental awareness thing that's out there now.
2: Well, if they're only used once and if they're uh, never recycled or disposed properly, then they do cause they do have the potential to cause quite a problem. But frankly. Um, if they're used correctly, they can be done reusably. They're not, they're, their problem is mitigated against. But also, they're not the only source of these pollutants. In fact, by by and large, they're quite a, quite a, a minimal a minimal impact in that regard. You know, and I I have to say I have never seen the same complaints being made against the use of curry board for any other purpose other than elections. Which and it's not the case point. that people are using a different version of curry board. This is a sop to anti political sentiment. It's this a is stoking. Point. It's just stoking up this attitude that's out there that we shouldn't engage with politics, that we shouldn't engage with elections, that we have seen as contributing to the rise of the far right. It's incredibly dangerous. And frankly, if you were going to have an honest conversation about changing the system, you'd start it immediately after the next election, not with a couple of weeks to go beforehand. So where people have already printed their posters, where the political system hasn't had time to adapt. And frankly, we're not that far out of step with um, with other uh, European democracies vis-à-vis our use of posters. I was reading a paper last night that looked at the 2013 um, general, uh, German federal election where the two major parties there, the CDU, which is Merkel's party, and the SPD, which would be the big social democratic party, they used a combined 17,000 posters in that election. Now, that's just the two main parties covering that area. And something that gets suggested sometimes, and I think it's, it's worth looking at, is this idea of dedicated postering spaces and a restriction on the number of posters. I think that's a, a good start yeah. of the conversation. Someone
3: is suggesting on our messages a, a, a bill, a billboards a billboards with, with just pictures of all the candidates in your particular constituency might be one yeah. way to avoid huge numbers of posters. It, it, It's worth taking a look at, but
2: it's important to note that some of the systems that use uh, a similar idea to this, so Belgium would be one example, France would be another, they have quite different electoral cultures to Ireland, so we would need time to adapt. Like in Belgium, for example, you have a compulsory voting law where you can be fined pretty heavily if you don't uh, show up to vote. So they don't have to worry about turnout. They always have close to 100% turnout because it's compulsory to vote. Mm. Uh, And then in France, which is the other place that was suggested, um, their turnout levels aren't necessarily amazing, uh, so I'm not sure we'd want to emulate them. For example, our last legislative election, the last all-election we had here, was 2016. We had a turnout of just over 65%. Uh, the following year, France had its most recent legislative election, where in the first round of voting, uh, turnout was 48.7%, and in the second round, it was 426 So that's quite a bit lower than okay. the number of people okay. that we had showing up. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we need time to adapt if we're going to okay. do this. It's the start of a conversation, not the end. Okay,
3: that's the stats there, Luke. Thank you very much. That's uh, Luke Field. He is a member of the Labour Party, but he's also a political scientist. Thank you for that. 1850-715-996. Down in Carrigaline, they're looking to get a poster ban from the village itself and its, its general environs. Uh, Councillor Audrey Buckley. Audrey, good morning. Good
21: morning, DJ. You're involved oh, you with the enough.
3: tidy towns and, and you want to no-poster zone, but as Luke said, the, the statistics and the research shows that they're an important part of the electoral process.
21: Um well um I'm again I'm, I'm the Crosshaven Tidy Towns actually PJ but uh, yeah I'm in the Cargilline LEA area as a councillor. Um so we're doing gently gently um so for a couple of years I've been involved in Crosshaven Tidy Towns for about 14 years. Um, and you know uh, the Cargilline Crosshaven Railway Walk. There, um, you know, each year after a general election or an election, we would be out with the clippers taking down the um, the the ties that the posters. So that's kind of yeah, for the poster ties would be left on. So that's kind of where I was introduced <laughs> to and where my draw became for these posters. And then the beautiful, you know, you'd be walking along and you'd have these posters kind of, you know, and they're on every poll and there could be the same candidate would be on every poll all the way along. So gently, gently, we used to um, send, a, when the candidates were were named and published, we would send them a letter asking them and we we give designated areas where we would like to see the posters. It's just a suggestion, because we can't make them. They can put their posters anywhere. But also, we suggest to them where we would like the posters to go. And um, it's been adhered to, and it's really worked for us down here.
3: Mm -hmm. Of course, they know that if the local Tidy Towns has good support, (coughs) that all those people vote. (laughs) So they don't want to go against that. So now now that we are effectively up and running... Uh, audrey do yes. you think that we will have um, any any successful no poster zones
21: um i i i absolutely see it i see it's like cargline of doing it um different councillors i've spoken to in chamber have taken it on board in their their local areas i i do understand in rural areas um that uh you know, especially with newer candidates coming in, that wouldn't be well known. I do understand the need for uh, the candidates being out there or with their faces being out there for when you go to the polling stations and you can see, you recognize who you're voting for. And um, sometimes there can be a lot of candidates. So at least if you, you drive past these posters, you recognize and you say, yes, that's, that's the person that I was speaking to. And, and that's the person I want to vote for okay. when you see it on the polling card. But um, I I do think it's coming and, and people are and towns are coming on board because I think the uptake on it, people are very positive about having posters in certain areas, but they don't want to see posters on every poll.
3: Mm. Or it several was, posters in every poll, or three or several, four posters yeah. in every poll. And
21: I, and I think there should be a limit of how many posters, because I, I, I know, like some candidates, you know, they could be getting hundreds, thousands of posters. Where, when I was running, I, I I got the least I could get. I got 100 um, posters, mm. banners, and I used about 50 of them. But that was the least amount that I could get at the time. Um, but I did need them to get out there, to get my name out there. Um but um, I, I would agree that I think we should have designated areas, and um, I don't agree on a wide ban on them. No. I think there should be so many per candidate and okay. designated areas.
3: All right. Okay. Leave it there for now. Uh, Councillor Audrey Buckley, uh, field Fall, 1850 715 Our poll is running 75% of people across all of our platforms now in favour of a ban on pollsters. Now, Luke Field made a point when he was talking to me that this actually, this is just anti-politician sentiment that comes up around the time of elections. That the only reason people say, oh we don't want any posters, it's just a kind of an anti-politician thing. Eileen says, have a realistic limited number of posters per candidate. Alison, in relation to the election, probably enough time to lay the foundations for the event centre, but you never know, yeah? You're not wrong. Uh, councillor John Maher, who will be a first-time candidate in Cork North Central for the Labour Party, as a newly elected councillor and first-time candidate, posters are very important. They complement hard work and knocking on doors, especially for new candidates. But Don says it's madness to think we're lobbying supermarkets and suppliers to reduce packaging and reduce waste. And here we have our representatives not listening, or at least not not leading from the front One caller says the only time he wants to see a politician's face is on a shooting gallery. (laughs) Frank wants to know if the moratorium could kick in today, but can I tell you something? A great use for an election poster, if you want to reuse it, is lining the floor of a dog's kennel. They last forever. 1850-715-996 Eighteen fifty-seven I'm only saying The Opinion
6: Line on Corks 96FM
10: With the Solid Fuel Depot At Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Call and collect or get 7-day delivery For those cozy nights in SolidFuelDepot.ie
6: There's one thousand four hundred and fourteen minutes in your day Is it filled with the music you love? Oh,
10: love you. My favorite Give us just 10 minutes of your time and it will be.
6: Have your say on the songs we play with the Quartz 96FM Music Panel. Go to
10: 96FM.ie now and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The survey only takes 10 minutes.
6: Join the Quartz 96FM Music Panel. Find the
10: link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie.
6: This is Quartz Gold, Imro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us
10: now, 1850-715-996. On
6: Courts, 96 FM.
3: Thomas says we should ban posters completely. It provides an equal footing for all candidates, then not just the ones with deep pockets. The way to get votes is go door-to-door, present your case, or hold town hall meetings. Posters are outdated says Thomas. By text, the plastic ties left behind after the election are both unsightly and they present a hazard with the tails sticking out at eye level. It should be mandatory that the plastic ties are removed along with the posters. Absolutely agree to their. there. Texture. I have to say, I'm and I am a bit of a political nerd, as Luke said, I don't mind election posters. I think they have a, their place. But I do think they should take the ties away afterwards, and they should be fined if they don't. The problem is, you know who left a poster on the poll, you have no idea who left a tie, which is why they can just walk away and let them there. 1850-715-996. Uh, I want to go... Am I going to 1 or 6 there, Dee? Whisper into my ear straight away. Um, I going to 1 or 9 6... I'll go to one for now. Greg Canty, um, you saw dr- uh, drugs being... Someone doing drugs, was it today? Good morning to you.
22: Yeah, hey, PJ, how are you doing? <laughs> Good to chat to you. Yeah, just first thing this morning, um, at the Grand Parade Q car park, I call it the Casey's Furniture Car Park. um yes. w- w- which, which I guess is one of the, the fancy Dan ones that we have in the city centre, you know, that... The Q park. To one. This, yeah, exactly. and It's the one where you know it's expensive and everything else um yeah so i was just coming out this morning and i was just at the very last stairwell i mean the, the one near the ground floor mm. um and as casual as anything just two middle-aged people sitting down on one of the steps uh it was a girl and a guy um she was she had her her stuff in her foil with her little pipe she was smoking away they were actually in an animated discussion given out about something in the city centre, which I thought was quite funny. Right. Um, but it was the most normal thing ever. I just passed them, they didn't look at me, they yeah. they weren't astonished, they weren't frightened. This, this was 10 to 9 this morning. Yeah, have you um, seen that? Have
3: you seen it before? Or is there first few?
22: I haven't, I, I've seen a little bit of messing around at the higher floors of the car park, but, but never, never, ever at the bottom floors. Mm. Um, no. It's pouring out of the heavens. Obviously, they came in off the street to find a, a comfortable spot or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, the poor is that, that that's what they're at, at today. You know, yes. but um, but but the worrying thing, PJ, th- this is as normal as anything. Mm. Um, now on the way out the door, there's kind of like a, an emergency contact number on the door. Obviously, the the people who run the car park. It was a Dublin number, I rang the number, and it just rang out. So, yeah, th- th- there you go. I tweeted it, and I mentioned them in little Twitter handle, hoping that they'd get back to me or do something about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't get a reply or anything, so they're obviously not mani- mani- manning their Twitter account either. I mean,
3: you, do, you have a business in, in, in the city. What kind of a message does this send out to, say, a stranger who might be in that car park?
22: Oh, for me, it's this is the norm this is okay in our city. You know, we've got to a point where we just ignore those things. Now, today, thankfully, it was just the two middle-aged people, they weren't looking to cause trouble to anyone or anything. But I'm sure in another scenario, you know, there could be someone higher. I don't know about drugs. I don't know what they were taking. There was no aggressiveness around it. Yeah. But, obviously, the visual part is terrible. You know, it's a terrible reflection on the city. And, it does make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know mm-hmm. what else is going? To, are you going to experience in our city around every yeah. corner that you turn? No, it's certain- this was a good spot. This wasn't a dark yeah. alleyway. You know, you're
3: not the first person to report this in a car park in the city, but that was your experience this morning. Thank you very much, Greg Canty, eighteen fifty seven one five nine. I think the Q Park, just there in the, in the Grand Parade, he saw people. Um, it looks like someone was chasing the dragon, but maybe not. We don't know what they we're doing uh, on the steps of the stairs this morning. Let's go to line six. Uh, congratulations on your selection, uh, Sandra Murphy. Good morning.
0: Good morning, PJ. How are you doing?
3: Ashram Grand, all together. More to the point, uh, h- how are you? I know that your name has been touted around quietly for a little while, but now you're on the ticket. How do you feel?
0: I'm thrilled. I'm I'm really really honoured, PJ. It's a huge day. Um, I'm very excited. Um, of course, I am nervous. Um, but I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to the campaign. Um, it's something that I have always wanted to do. Um, so I'm going to do my very, very best uh, for Cork North Central. And mm. I'm very grateful to the Fall Party uh, for selecting me for the ticket. Uh, this Why time.
3: is it something you've always wanted to do? My God, aren't I Politicians mean, must oh be oh the most hated God. species in Ireland. You know. <laughs>
0: um, well, I suppose PJ. Just I, I know you're you're very familiar with me and familiar with my background, but I do have. Um, extensive experience predominantly in hospitality for the last 18 years in managerial roles. And 12 of those years, PJ, I was self-employed with a restaurant and bar in Horn, which of course is Cork North Central. Um, you know, I'm honest, I'm hard-working, I come from a family of those values. And being self-employed, it was incredibly positive. It was a wonderful time. Um, but of course, um, we all know that after 12 years, the business did close.
20: Mm.
0: So I suppose... I'm very much aware of the difficulties. I'm aware of the struggles of mm. being an employer in the small to medium-sized uh, businesses, um, and I'm also very aware of that from a hospitality perspective. And I suppose, a- and when that the inform the
3: hospital- issues that you'll bring to the fore
0: yeah well, you know I suppose one of one of the main areas of so hospitality I do want to ca- campaign for the hospitality industry. We have seventy thousand people employed and we see closures coming all of the time um, but another area that i'm really passionate about and I would speak about on a regular basis is uh, health um, My brother, uh, who you know is a consultant in the health service and emergency mm-hmm, medicine mm-hmm. Um, so i 'm really passionate about what is going on there and look, trolleys are at an all-time high Uh, outpatient waiting lists are at an all-time high Um, but you know the trolleys really when we look at it they're kind of the symptom uh, of an overall disease that that is happening Um, I'm also cognisant of the fact that uh, people are struggling to get access to GPs, we need to improve Mm. um, community care Um, I'm in the Bishopstown area so my main focus for the campaign of course is going to be on my doorstep um, and uh, with the people of Bishopstown and
3: And the hospital areas as, the, as
0: a daughter of a farmer member of Angarda Shia Kona as well yes. um, there are issues uh, in that area with regard to the fact that we need urgently to improve uh, guard a presence uh, uh, in the community. because There's, that's plenty,
3: there's plenty for you to be out there and, and talking about and campaigning on. Sandra, what is your political background though? Do you have one? I mean, how long How long have you been a member of Fianna Fáil? Uh, I'm a Fáil?
0: member of the Fianna Fáil party uh, for the last two years um, and I suppose, PJ, people who own restaurants and bars generally on the, on the public front need to remain uh, apolitical. Um, however, what I would say is that four years ago I made the decision to go back to college by night and study a law degree um, and it was always with the intention of entering into politics the moment I'm doing a part time masters in advanced family law specialising in the area of children's rights Um, but I have been I, I was asked to run in the local elections last summer the timing for me on a personal level just wasn't right, unfortunately. Mm. Um but I was canvassing very actively with um uh, Councillor Mary Rose Desmond and for the by elections mm. um I was very active with Podio Sullivan. Um so you know I, I any I'm thoughts, certainly need the rate.
3: He'll, he'll feel a bit aggrieved.
0: Yeah, but I suppose I'm not in a position to discuss um, other potential candidates. Um, I can only work on my campaign, at PJ, you know, mm. and I don't control decisions by the Elections Committee. Um, I can just say that I'm grateful for the fact that I have been selected. Okay. I'm looking forward to working on the campaign. And I'm looking forward to the next uh, few weeks and getting out there on the doors, meeting people in the community. You know, I met quite a lot, of course, with uh, Pawdy over the last... Um, for the by-elections yeah. and had a great experience with him. So I am looking forward to the challenge. Okay. I have no doubt, PJ, that it's going to be difficult. Um, yes, this is on the face of it new to me, but I do think, PJ, it is important to have new voices out there. Um, right. I also think that females are underrepresented in politics, and I think mm-hmm. it's important to have... Um, to have you know, more females in we, politics. We, I so. have
3: no doubt we'll we have an opportunity to chat again over the next couple of weeks. Sandra, like I do with every candidate uh, that, that that has the pluck to put themselves on a ballot paper, good luck to you. Uh, and that stands for everybody. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Ken O'Flynn has just called us. Uh, we'll talk to us first thing in the morning. Thanks for that, guys. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. Uh, um... caller says I'll put up a sign in the drive no canvassers when the postman is gone in the morning I'm going to tape up the letterbox for the day until the next day I'm that serious about keeping them away from me I'm going to vote for someone who's never been in power before. We will talk to Ken O'Flynn first thing in the morning 75% of you want a ban on election posters you're not going to get it though unfortunately for you election day will be Saturday the 8th of February all the formalities will be completed we believe now By the end of the day, the doll would be dissolved and the starter's pistol has been fired on GE20. Program edited by Deirdre Schottensky, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Podcast up around lunchtime. Repeat in the early
5: hours. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Subtle results, still you